0: The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P A L A V R dot com. Can I eat this most be? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai bringing class to trash since 1977.
1: everybody welcome to another episode of the ggtmc and right now i'm sans coffee so there's no telling what i might say yeah and if we
2: sound extra sexy this morning it's because we're back on the uh, the morning train for the time being
1: yes yes it's been a long time actually since we recorded in the morning
2: yeah i'm that kind of stagger staggered bed down the stairs put the coffee on
1: yeah and, and unfortunately, i don't have stairs to walk down but that's a you you have that one hurdle i don't have there that's good. <laughs> It can be a hurdle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it can be. All right, so we are back, and uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, uh, City of the Living Dead, the uh, uh, Lucio Fulci film. Uh, some are, some people are very affectionate for it, some people not so much. We'll see where we fall. And uh, Night of the Juggler from uh, 1980, which is, is really kind of a, well, it'll be interesting to talk about. It's kind of a, uh, well, to be honest with you, before we did the show, I didn't really know anything about it. So there we go. So, you know, first time I've ever seen it.
2: Oh, well, obviously, first time I'd seen it. Um, I'd only heard, I <coughs> can't even talk. Uh, I'd only heard about it because of uh, CDB. Right. Uh, you know, to be honest, we can't hear of everything and have seen everything. So, uh, but just the name and, and the premise really sounded top notch.
1: So. I mean, the titles, the titles are great. But I mean, if I had looked at the cast, I'd have been like, well, yeah, there's some fun people in there. Dan Hedaya, the, the living werewolf. Uh, okay. you know, uh, Brolin, I, I can go back and forth on. I agree. So okay. we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. It'll be some interesting conversation. But uh, yes, indeed, we are back. Do we have anything to announce here else other than that in the beginning?
2: Um, I'm going to announce this in the beginning, and then I'll I'll make it like a, a permanent thing at the end. You and I had talked about this. This was uh, something that we're going to do going forward. Um, it was mentioned by a very good friend of our show, Jay, the Oily Maniac. Um, he had made a suggestion to me, and I, I, I kind of... I, I politely scoffed. I didn't, I didn't think he was you know, a chump for, for uh, suggesting it. I just didn't think there was going to be much of a demand for it. But we're going to do it anyway uh, because he had you know, he'd said, no, no, I, I disagree. I think you should do this. Because at the end of the day, it's something we're doing to be selfless and not self-serving. Um, Jay had come up with a great idea. A lot of times people say, oh, I'd love to program an episode of the show, blah, 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 this and that. Um, so Jay's come up with a great idea. Um, obviously, in spite of uh, everything that's happening in Japan, the people there are trying to move forward, it's it's obviously proving very difficult because of uh, everything that's been going on and, and everything they have to do to move forward. Um, so what we're going to do going forward is we're going to start something called Program for Japan. And what this is going to be is um, anyone who donates $50 or more to Japan Relief, whether through it's through the Red Cross or... Um, any noble institution um, if you can forward us obviously take out your credit card information what have you but forward us the uh, the receipt um, with the link and then um, you can program an episode of the show yourself you can pick both films um, you know uh, and if your schedule permits as such with, and it jives with ours because unfortunately we're on tight schedules mm. and you maybe you're not shy and you want to maybe get on and talk about it that's, that's in the cards too potentially so um, yeah $50 or more you can program whatever two films you want us to talk about. I'm even up for doing Yentl. Anything is in the cards here. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. No, you shouldn't have. (laughs) I definitely shouldn't have. But in saying that, uh, I I would be willing to watch it if I meant $50 more to um, the cause. So, yeah, I think that was important to announce in
1: the opening. There you go. All right. uh, So, you know, very good. I mean, you know... It is a good cause, and you know it'll it'll be it'll be it'll be fun if people contribute, and, and that's fun. And we already know one has, so you know we're already going to have something going on there. So, and uh, you know, th- to be honest with you, we got away from the uh, uh, fan uh, or listener fan uh, kind of programmable shows, and that it it always kind of sucks because those are always kind of fun. Oh yeah, we so, found some great films through those. that yeah. I know I had never seen otherwise. So. Yeah, and sometimes you know they make us nervous, and then we were like, oh, you know, this film actually turned out to be a lot of fun, you know. And, but uh you know we're we're very open guys when it comes to film anyway so it it'll, it'll be it'll be a good time and it's a good cause so there you go also uh, the only other th- thing I got to mention it's not really s- selfish thing to mention but it is uh involved me in some point make sure to check out the uh, new episode of Hamacus. I'm on there so I want to make sure I push the ep- uh, the show Brian show and uh you know I'm on there if you guys uh, haven't listened and you want to hear some more of me somewhere me and Brian cover shatter and uh, it's a good time <laughs>
2: Yes, and, and of course, he's not he's glossing over it, but you can hear Sammy do his amazing accent on this episode. Yes. So
1: Have you listened to it yet?
2: No, I didn't know. it was. Out. <laughs> I, I looked for it, I think, last week, and I, it wasn't up yet, so yeah. I'm going to be doing it this weekend.
1: I saw a, a comment from uh, Quint on Facebook saying, it sounds like Christopher Lee spent some time in Kentucky. <laughs> so, yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, so we'll get into uh, what we've been watching. So, uh, Lars Wayne, what have you been up to?
2: Fair bit. Um, I have written some really important films. I've actually been kind of happy with my, proud of myself that I've been ticking off some real kind of prestige films um, since uh, every week it goes on. Uh, so the first one was um, uh, Daguerre Oti- no, let's try that again. Uh, Daguerre Otipis, which is, uh, it sounds more Spanish than anything, but it's, it's French. Uh, Agnes Verde, the filmmaker from France who grew up uh, in this uh, neighborhood. Uh, on I guess Daguerre Street um, she just kind of put her eye on some of the, the local shopkeepers and and let them kind of tell their stories, their hopes and dreams and it's an hour long documentary I watched and I really really enjoyed it um, I thought it was quite good and just kind of let them have their peace without uh, involving her too much in it so uh, I know she's known for her realism in her films so I, I want to seek out more of her stuff because I'm familiar with her but this was the first one I'd actually seen so very interesting um uh, then I, you know, one of the things this year I'd, I'd mentioned I wanted to do was see more uh, Nicholas Ray, and as I was folding laundry last Wednesday, uh, they came by. They Live by night. Came on TCM, so I watched that. I thought it was okay. You know, it wasn't great. It was. It had its moments. Um, I watched. Uh, next up was a, another one that I'd kind of avoided, but I'd <clears throat> been reminded of through the uh, the Danny Perry uh, guide, and that was Carnal Knowledge with uh, the Funk himself, Art Garfunkel, and Jack Nicholson. Yes. Uh, Anne Margaret And Candace Bergen um, You know Talking very frankly About uh, sexual politics And uh, the men and, well, Between men and women In the seven. Well it takes place From the 40s to the 70s And I really liked it I could see how it would be A lot more Maybe spicy At the time it came out Right um, And I, I quite enjoyed it I thought it was very very good um, Then I rewatched Red Riding In the year of our Lord 1974 My wife I wanted her to see the trilogy mm-hmm. So we watched the first one, and someone had said, uh, I can't remember who it was now. It was pretty funny. They said, uh, Oh, how does your wife feel being the third wheel? There's you, Andrew Garfield, and her. <laughs> so,
3: yes.
2: yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was able to contain myself. But she quite enjoyed it, and, and right away she wanted to watch the second one, and we watched it. you here. I, I might as well say it now. We, we watched that, and, you know, I maintain it's my favorite of the three, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They look, they look good on blue, not great, because they put them all on one disc. Right, right. So, and Plus, they're made for TV, so I don't know if they're really going for the high definition, But they, they look certainly good. Right. Um, I watched a film I was pretty disappointed in. Uh, I remember hearing about it, and the guys over at Twitch really dug it. And I know you'd seen it and, and liked it, although you didn't trip over yourself to praise it. And that was a, a Spanish film called King of the Hill. Right. Uh, I'd said to you, there's a reveal in the, the back third of this film that just totally, totally totally put me off this film like I'd still give it like a six you know maybe six and a quarter but man that that reveal really bothered me <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah I can see where it would I could you know and it, it is you know I almost feel like they shouldn't revealed anything but hey you know
2: no it would have been a nice little uh, tight uh, little thriller you <laughs> know <laughs> Um, not to say it's not worth anyone's time, but I think it went from being you know, a good film to a you know, decent film.
1: And yeah, and some people I think probably will <laughs> like the reveal. You know, I think some yeah. people will like it a lot. So you know, teach them.
2: Some people can say, "Oh, good, it's good social commentary," and it's not. I disagree. I think you can't shoehorn something in a social commentary that makes you suspend disbelief completely and utterly. Right. Because when you you start to have characters make decisions that start to pile up as as to being illogical and just to drive Forward your socially conscious reveal, mm-hmm. that's when I start to have a problem because it's affecting other decisions you're making in the film. Right, right. Um, next up was The Jericho Mile, which uh, uh, the Brin had been pushing on us, and it was one of the last chances I was going to give Michael Mann. I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I thought Peter Strauss was very, very good in it and really made the film for me. Uh-huh. Um, it was funny to see he as like this rockabilly kind of greaser. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was good, though. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, you know, upper echelon man for me. Uh, yeah, it's
1: and- a it's a made for tv film. It, it's yeah, I watched it too, so I'll go ahead and mention it now. Uh, it, it's it is good. I mean, you see a lot of well, I mean, for people like me who don't, I don't, I don't love man. Actually, I don't think he's a great filmmaker. I don't think he's a good one. He, uh, I think that uh, uh, you know, you see a lot of his themes that he keeps revisiting over and over and over again, right from the get go. But it is definitely it's definitely a bromance movie. There's there's oh yeah a lot of bromance in that movie. There's a few bromances in it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not, and it's a prison movie, so it's it's not exactly the kind of bromance you would think, but uh I mean, well, it's not graphic bromance anyway, but uh you know, it, it, there's some good emotional moments, you know, and uh, again, like I was telling you on the phone, it it's great to listen to Peter Strauss use the word uh, you know, sound like doing his Dennis Hopper impersonation, it sounds like yeah. <laughs> It's like, "Come <laughs> on, man."
2: <laughs> yeah, no, totally, and I, I got to say they use sympathy for the devil, the devil, yeah, the devil, fantastically in that <laughs> nice. film. And the end, I got chills. I have to say it's one of those kind of because it really is kind of like a prison slash sports movie, right? So yep. the end, I did get chills. I really love that ending. It uh, I thought it was quite good. Um, next up, another filmmaker I've kind of been lukewarm on. Um, Uh, that, of course, being Errol Morris. Uh, You know, his police stuff with the the reenactments kind of bothered me, so I wanted to go back and see his older stuff like Vernon, Florida, which I still haven't seen, and this one, Gates of Heaven, which I did see and I quite enjoyed. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's best to just let people sometimes say their story, and people are interesting enough. If you have an interest in seeing everyday people talk about their lives, um, which he did to, to pretty great effect here. It's a, it's a documentary for those of you that don't know about pet cemeteries and the people that bury their pets there and the people that run them. So uh, interesting stuff. Um, <clears throat> next up was a film I'd seen that was suggested to me by Netflix. We've had a pretty good track record with me thus far. And uh, whoa.
1: Yeah, that's me hitting the cord. Apologies.
2: <laughs> oh, no problem. Uh, it was a film that um, I would say is it might be the most, if not... Uh, it's in the t- it's in the top three or four most technically astounding films I've ever seen, at least from a cinema- uh, cinematography standpoint. That's I Am Cuba. Uh, uh, it was a film that was made um, uh, 1968, I think, pr- just pre-revolution in Cuba. Uh, some Russians had went in, <clears throat> wanted to make a film in a communist country that uh, showed a communist country in you know sort of a favorable, kind of almost a travelogue or travel guide. Sorry, I keep turning on because I'm coughing and sneezing. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, everybody should... I don't know if we say anything in front of it, but uh, Will is a little under the weather, so you might you might
2: hear a little bit of that today. Yeah, you're going to hear clearing my throat and a lot of other sexy times. Um, anyway, this film, I Am Cuba, um, it read, it's four vignettes uh, about Cubans from different walks of life, primarily uh, middle class and, and lower class kind of farmers. And there are some camera shots in this film that I swear to you, man you're going to wonder how they pulled them off. Um, it's really astounding. It, it's it's a it's a great film. I think it's it's a near masterpiece. Um, I know Marty Scorsese is a big fan. Paul Thomas Anderson borrowed one of the big, uh, and a lot of it's single-take stuff, and he borrowed one of the single-take shots right. from this film and he was mm-hmm. in Boogie Nights, as you and I had discussed. So, right, right. Yeah, so I would highly recommend everyone check it out. It is a little bit long, though, two hours and 20, so you got to be in the mood for something like that. Yeah. Um, Next up, probably not as technically astounding, but uh, equally as marvelous American Commandos. Um, this is, uh, of course, um, Chris Mitchum and, uh, <laughs> and John Philip Law, who wears the most amazing t shirt in the history of cinema. Um, it, it's really, it starts out as like a, a rape revenge film. His wife and kid get killed, and then it morphs into you know, somebody's going in to smash the, the drug trade and the Golden Triangle. So I had a lot of fun with it. It was good. Um, Coolie Killer, which is an early '80s Hong Kong film about some hitmen that getting knocked off, and and the one last one who has to try to find out why. Uh, The print I have is a terribly cropped, uh, like a VHS rip, and in fact, some of the subtitles are cut off. So it kind of really, you know, I was in the mood for some really '80s Hong Kong stuff, but it just unfortunately it, it really got in the way of me enjoying it. Uh, Logan's Rome was on TV. I watched it with my wife. I was only going to watch a few minutes. Of course, I got sucked in because I love it. But to my surprise, my wife got sucked in. And in fact, I was falling asleep. And I said, OK, change it. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. I want to watch it. So, nice. OK, cool. She's down with the York, apparently. Yeah. So <laughs> she enjoyed it, man. And, I, and as always, it's one of my favorite sci-fi films. It has the fortunate timing of coming out a year before Star Wars. And that's the way it goes, I guess. Yes. Um, <laughs> next up uh and the final film I watched uh, was one that uh, a lot of people I, I've meaning to see for ages and uh, a lot of people really love it and it's kind of timely for us uh, that is of course Cluzo's wages of fear.
1: Ah yes, yes, I'd be interested to hear what you say about this one?
2: I think it's very good mm-hmm. uh, I, I do think sorcerer is better and I'll tell you why I think sorcerer is better. Um, I think that um, sorcerer, turns everything up a little bit now that that may sound like a critique with some films because you can say less is more with a good film but i think friedkin being a filmmaker that is as great as he is turning things up a little bit um is done well enough that it you just feel things more for example we're given a backstory of our characters as to why they're so desperate whereas uh, i think in wages of fear it's almost like oh they're just laying around nothing to do you know let's lay around the saloon and you kind of get a sense of the the desperation, but I just don't think it's anywhere near as, as desperate, as stamped as desperately as it is in Sorcerer. Um, I do think there's some really white knuckle stuff in Wages of Fear, particularly the stuff shot at night and the stuff with that bridge over the cliff,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, which is, you know, <laughs> amazing. But I just think that, uh, again, I think that stuff is done better by uh, Friedkin. And I do think that the ending in Sorcerer towers over the ending of Wages of Fear. I feel like the ending... I just I can't understand the decision he made. It's almost like he forced the character to do something that it, it just it, it kind of bothered me, you know. Because I think there was other ways he could have gotten the same end result from his ending without him having the character do something that was maddeningly stupid, in my opinion. Like <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I mean? I oh no, yeah, like,
1: I know what you mean. Yeah. The, the,
2: the, there's the, you could say there's um uh, you know higher uh, higher powers or whatever you want to say that you know sheer kind of the you know black comedy sort of luck of things that he still would have got the same end result, but to force his character to do something that was just so bafflingly stupid to me. And I don't think anyone can justify it to me. I'm sorry, but you know, but still a very great film, man, that I think anyone who loves film should seek out. It was, it was, you know, top notch.
1: Right. Right. Yep. That it, that everything
2: that is it. I'm out of breath. I got to drink some water.
1: Nice. Nice. All right. Uh, okay. So, you know, I've already talked about the Jericho mile a little bit, so I got a few more, Um I finally watched uh, Stranger Than Fiction, which is a film that, you know, I, I think it came out like five years ago, and I just never got around to watching it. Don't know why. It wasn't because, you know, Will Ferrell was in it or anything like that. It was just one of those ones that just kept eluding me. And uh, it, was, it was a free download on the PlayStation Network video store, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and check this film out. I've been meaning to watch it, and I just never got around to it. I liked it quite a bit. I mean, it's, it's good. It's really good. It's, it's uh, a little Charlie Kaufman-esque. Uh, maybe, did Charlie Kaufman write it? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I felt like he was involved, too. I've never seen it. I own it, but I also feel like it is a Kaufman-esque film.
1: I don't even know if he wrote it or not. I might be, I'm not going to look it up right now, but I might be, I might be right, I might be wrong. I don't know. But either way, uh, it's, it is a good film, and, uh, you know, it's it's not the Will Ferrell, you know, people typically see, although there are, you know, glimmers of that and stuff, but he's actually really good in the film, and, and uh, some of the other actors really good in the film, so it's, it's really kind of nice. Kind of a little... You know the the you see the ending coming, but uh, you know that's okay. It's it's it, probably the end maybe affected it the most for me, but it's it's still good. Uh, watched uh, Hell Is a City. This is a early Hammer film, one of their kind of noir neo noir type things. Uh, shot in Manchester, Manchester, and uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good little uh, kind of like a potboiler kind of you know crime film. Pretty simple crime film, but. It's really, you know, got a nice feel to it because it's all in Manchester and everybody's got the accents and and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people, obviously, when everybody everybody thinks about Hammer, and one of the great things about Brian's show is that, you know, he covers not just Hammer films. And when people hear the words Hammer films, they always think, they immediately think gothic horror because mm-hmm. that's what they're mostly known for. But they made a lot of other stuff as well. So uh, I told Brian, I was like, hey, I'll come back on We'll do, uh, you know, some of this noir stuff sometime then. So. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's a good film. It's a solid film. 1960, I believe. So, good time if you want to watch a good, like, cop film. Oh, nice. Uh, it's nice stunt work in it, too, for 1960. Uh, and then I watched, uh, basically, I was scrimming through my Netflix Instacue, and, uh, or Netflix Instant Watch, and I was saying, hey, I wonder what's come out lately on there. I'm just kind of bored. I'll just skim through here and see what come out. And then I noticed that, like, there's all these WWE uh, documentaries on there now. And... Uh, You know, wrestling, even though I don't watch the actual wrestling uh, events anymore or the show every week, uh, wrestling still fascinates me. Um, It's a fascinating world to me. It's almost like a carnival or a sideshow, but, you know, with (laughs) oiled-up guys that watch too many Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Uh, but uh, so there was you know a bunch of them on there so I got three of them in I watched uh, the rise and fall of WCW which is uh, pretty good some of these some of these the thing about these documentaries as you can tell like some of these are directed by Big Sexy himself so oh, wow so uh, I believe his real name is Kevin Dunn and uh, I think I'm right about that.
2: It's not Kevin Nash.
1: I don't think it is. I think his real name is Kevin Dunn, but I, I could be wrong about that. But his name keeps popping up. Maybe, 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 it, maybe, it, maybe it is Kevin Nash, but I don't know. I'd have to look it up, but I'm too lazy to do that. And then I got to reach for the keyboard, and it's like three inches away from my face. So you know, <laughs> I haven't had coffee yet. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I, I got to find out. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up while I'm talking here. But uh,
2: it's not the same person.
1: No. Oh, okay. You just look it up.
2: Yeah, he's been a, an executive at WWE for more than 20 years. Okay. There we
1: go. Okay, so I thought Kevin Dunn was him, but I'm wrong. But anyway, he he directs a lot of these, and uh, they, they, they're some. I mean, they're not well made films, I should say. Like you know, for a film buff, you're not going to sit there and watch them and be like, "Whoa, that was really moving." But they are very entertaining, uh, nice TV documentary type things and stuff. And there's some good stories in them and stuff. And the Rise and Fall WCW is a good one because. You know, it's a good story of excess you know cuz when wcw was popular i don't know i mean i don't know if you were watching wrestling then but monday night yeah, was i was yeah. but
2: that nitro was amazing when yeah. you know when uh, what's his name there tony schiavone and then we go oh we got we're going to come back next week and you'd be just leave <laughs> left breathless waiting yeah. to see yeah. if sting was going to come down from the rafters <laughs> or what was going to
1: happen yeah they really leave you on the cliffhangers and stuff and, and stuff but they talk about you know how they they got a little too cocky uh, with uh you know thinking people will always be there and you know the wrestling business like like a lot of entertainment businesses it, it's a it's a come and go business you know it, it gets it's, it'll stay consistently popular to some degree but then sometimes it'll get huge for a while and then it'll disappear and stuff and and then it'll come back you know and, and stuff but it's always there it's just you know sometimes it gets like real, real mainstream and and when wcw was really popular it was very mainstream and uh they were beating the hell out of wwe which nobody thought would ever be possible it was wwf at the time and and they were just blowing them away. And of course, you know, eventually Vince McMahon's like, you know, he saw he struck while the iron was hot when they started getting down. You know, he's like, I'll oh, fucking just buy him up.
2: <laughs> he pounced, man. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this Do you find that, I mean, th- this is the thing. They're, they're produced by WWE. Do you think there is an air of, of, um, uh, of them being fair and, and unbiased in these or can you always kind of does it reek of a bit of a pat on the back for WWE? When-
1: Some of them reek of that a little bit but this one's pretty honest I mean it doesn't paint Vince McMahon as a uh, you know a real gentleman it paints him as a true businessman you know he and he admits you know that him and Ted Turner had you know quite a bit of competition and you know that's one of the great things about Ted Turner. I love about Ted Turner. Uh, I don't. I, he's not an interesting guy to me, but I, I do think it's very interesting that you get this billionaire who's a huge, as he likes to say, wrestling fan. Oh yeah. I mean, he really actually loves wrestling. So, you know, that's you know, and, and you know he's basically he basically built his empire on news and wrestling. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, so but I uh, know it's it's pretty it's pretty fair because there's a lot of stuff in there about how, uh, you know. Vince got involved and and uh, you know he kind of got in the way and blah 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 and Bischoff would complain about Vince and say things publicly and and stuff like that so it's it's pretty fair I mean I don't I don't think uh, it hides too much I mean obviously they could probably get really down and dirty if they wanted to uh, yeah. because it's a it's a seedy business to begin with you know seedy beyond seedy <laughs> yeah there's probably only one other business that's seedier than the wrestling business and that might be porn <laughs> yeah
2: it's true and they're probably not that far apart to be honest
1: no probably not I mean a lot of the same oils are used.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the same drugs. At least, yeah,
1: it's a, yeah. it's a world, yeah, But you know, and so it is what it is. But uh, that's that one. That one's pretty, that one's pretty good. Then I watched the WWE Bobby the Brain Heenan. This is the Bobby Brain Heenan one. Now this one, this one's not a good film at all. I mean, it's it's nice to watch a little bit of a history on Bobby the Brain, but it's really all it is. It's like a history lesson on his life, and you know, talks about you know his his battles with throat cancer and stuff and uh you know it it's it's a nice story cuz bobby the Brain Heaton is he is one of the best you know managers ever i mean either you liked him or not he was always entertaining uh you know, the weasel and uh, <laughs> and uh you know it it shows that you know he you know what i like about some of these is you know some of these guys just love the wrestling business and bobby the Brain Heaton is one of those guys he just loves the business and uh and they always call it that they call it the business you know so they they know what they got to do and they know how to sell it and they'll do what they got to do to sell it make money and uh, last, but certainly not least, I watched uh, Ricky Steamboat, The Life Story of the Dragon. Now, when I was growing up, uh, Steamboat was one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was, I was thinking about it when I was watching the documentary. You know, he says that he never wrestled one match as a bad guy, as a heel. And, you know, I, I think about that. There's not a lot of wrestlers who ever do that.
2: Well, if Hogan didn't do it, not many, you know what I mean? Because he yeah. was, like, the the good guy. And, then, yeah. and
1: I'm you know. sure I'm wrong. I'm sure there's somebody else. But uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat certainly it has to be one of the biggest of the wrestling stars who wrestled as a, as a you know, as a face the whole time he wrestled. Using some using some wrestling language there. Faces and heels.
2: Heels, yeah. Uh, yeah, he didn't create any heat as a, as a heel. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I wonder about JYD, man. Because he, he's another one that as a kid I really looked through at through rose-colored glasses. You know what I mean? I wonder if he ever wrestled as a heel.
1: You know, that's a good question. I don't know if Junkyard Dog ever did. I don't know. I don't think he did.
2: Uh, well, we'll put it out there. I know between James and uh, Loaf and Zom and Mike down in Florida. I know one of those – all those guys probably
1: know the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he ever did as the Junkyard Dog. Now, he might have as another character, but, you know, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was always – Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Steamboat. Yeah, and the the great thing about uh, Ricky Steamboat was, you know, he didn't really know much about the business. He got into it, and one of the things I found out was when he originally came up, he called himself uh, Ricky Blood. (laughs) <laughs> or something like that, and and they were, you know, they they said they look the, the, the some of the promoters looked at him and they're like, does this guy look like a you know a Ricky Blood? Because <laughs> he's got you know he's got that baby he's got that baby face and he still looks really good for his age. I mean he's still a good looking guy, and he's one of those kind of guys who got out of the business. He he did some matches recently for like you know some dedications and stuff with Jericho and things like that. But uh, you know he's one of those guys that got out of the business when he hurt his spine. You know these guys hurt their backs a lot. Oh yeah. And uh because even though it is fake, we all know that, but the, I mean these guys are still throwing their bodies around. I mean, they're still gonna get serious they can still get seriously injured at any time. And uh his was a real freak thing. He just kinda fell on his ass and it just compressed his spine. And uh he just decided to walk away instead of keep doing it because, you know, just so you know, he didn't want to tear his body up and stuff. But he still looks really good. Dapper dapper gentleman. Aged oh, yeah. well. Half Japanese, half American. Didn't I didn't know he was half Japanese. I knew he had some type of ethnicity to him but i didn't know it was japanese
2: he's hawaiian no
1: no no he's not hawaiian actually
2: oh wow i thought because uh, i guess he just built himself
1: yeah to be from he built himself from hawaii and he looks like he's from hawaii he looks hawaiian you know if you've ever seen a bunch of hawaiian people i've been to hawaii i mean he looks like a hawaiian guy
2: <laughs> so i guess that's where it is he's half japanese just half sort yeah. of uh, midwestern american or something right?
1: yeah, he's actually born uh i think in jersey yeah, thank oh, you. Oh,
2: wow, you. that blows my mind. <laughs> yeah.
1: But in, in the wrestling world, it shouldn't surprise you any. <laughs> yeah, no. It's a it. pretty great documentary because you get to see George the Animal Steel. Remember Ricky Dragon's team was pretty tight with George and a couple, you know, during the uh, some of the, uh, the feuds he had with Savage and those guys and stuff. I can always remember that Savage feud. Remember the, uh, the, the ring bell off the top rope to, to the throat?
2: <coughs> Let me tell you something with that. That happened my birthday weekend when I was, I think, six, and – I was watching Saturday. What is it? Saturday? Not Cavalcade. What was it called here? Um, I can't remember what it was called. Now that it's early, um, and I remember seeing that, and I was almost in tears because Ricky the Dragon was like one of my top two or three favorites, and yes. yeah, Macho Man hits him with the belt in the throat, and. And, and then we went to McDonald's for, um, like, you know, those birthday lunches you kids do. And it was, like, the buzz of my my birthday party, you know. Because I was like, oh, my God, did you see what happened to Ricky? And, you know, I'll never forget that, man. And then, of course, you know, WrestleMania 3, that match, um, which I saw with my dad at, on closed-circuit TV. Nice. People remember that. <laughs> uh, we watched it here in Oshawa. And, um, and, yeah, I remember that was, to this day, one of my favorite matches I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I have to say, you know, For a lot of Ricky Dragon Steamboat's career, he wrestled uh, Ric Flair. A lot of his early career, they wrestled a lot. And they became really good friends as, you know, the good guy and the heel there and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'll say this on the air. I don't know if I've ever said this about Ric Flair. We like to, you know, have fun with him and stuff because he does the woo and, you know, all that stuff. But I'll say this about Ric Flair, man. One thing I can always say about him, he makes every wrestler that wrestles him look like the greatest wrestler of all time. Absolutely. He sells the match maybe better than any wrestler in history. He was great, man. Yeah, and he, I, I can't believe the guy still does that shit. I mean, it still does the, you know, the you know the famous Ric Flair run against the turnbuckle, flip up, and act like you're going to fall oh, out yeah. of the ring, and and the, the famous, you know, where you hit him, and he stands there for two seconds, and then falls flat on his face. <laughs> or the
2: thing where he gets in his knees, he's just going, no, 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 and then he gives you the nut shot. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's just, he's a, he's a true, he's a true guy who uh, really understands, you know, how to sell a match. So
2: I don't know how knowing how physical that sport is I don't know how guys like him and some other guys are still wrestling like uh-huh. how do they how do they still do it
1: man It has to be pain pills involved there has to be <laughs> Oh yeah So you know I hope it yeah. just hopefully well, nothing serious will happen but I'm sure those guys are I'm sure those guys are in a lot of pain
2: Their livers are destroyed
1: Oh yeah I'm sure they're in they're messed up but you know they they do it for the you know for the the glory and it's and you know, whether you like it or not professional wrestling is you cannot argue is not it's not it's never not entertaining in some way oh yeah. yeah all right so that's everything we watched we're going to take a break i'm going to get some coffee because i have the world's worst case of cotton mouth right now
2: water might help you as well right?
1: yeah yeah well i'll drink the water first then i'll get the coffee but man then my tongue is like sticking to the roof of my mouth
2: hey, that's hey, let me ask you this because i want to forget which do you prefer wages of fear or sorcerer
1: uh i'm kind of back and forth on them i like sorcerer a little bit because I, I like some of the craziness of it but i also you know appreciate some of the wages of fear i do like the ending of sorcerer more i'll agree with you on that uh i don't despise the well not despise i don't think it's right word but i don't dislike the ending of wages of fear as much as you but uh i like, I like his uh style and stuff and everything but uh, it, it's it's really for me it's really kind of a toss-up depending on uh, what kind of mood i'm in uh, fair I'd, enough. I do like Sorcerer quite a bit. You know, I mean, I can't I can't argue that I don't like it. But I do. Uh, wages of Fears. I probably like them both equally, and then given whatever day you ask me, I could say, oh, I like Wages of Fear more. No, oh, maybe I like Sorcerer more. That's fair. So That's I'm, totally I'm right sure. in that ballpark.
2: Yeah, not to, again, not to stay on it, but not to discredit Wages of Fear. Isn't it is yes. an excellent
1: film. Yes, yes. All right. So, and uh, I do like American Commandos. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how can you not? <laughs> this is true alright <laughs> and it is comparable to all art films <laughs> yes alright yes so we'll be back what do you want to talk about first by the way you got anything in mind you want to do uh... Uh, it
2: makes no difference to me uh, let's go I ahead and do I...
1: let's do City of Living Dead we'll go ahead and do that I was
2: going to say the same thing let's do it
1: alright so we'll be back right after this
4: are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like whether it's music
5: movies TV or whatever you're into head on over to the palaver.com forums
4: Yes, yes, but, but forums, forums and message boards, and boards are elitist and archaic.
5: Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole.
4: palaver.com
5: is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's P a l a v r P-A-L-A-V-R.com.
1: Like, uh, a <laughs> little Anthony Wong singing some Ramones there. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and some people are not, uh, you know, I know that out there, there's, there's some that are not big fans of Anthony Wong singing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but hey, you know, the guy's a Renaissance man. <laughs> Certainly is. <laughs> so, Love him. We all do. Yes, we all do. Uh, still argue that, it, uh, as there are very few actors, I've said it before, I'll say it again, very few actors that wear sunglasses better than Anthony Wong. That is true. All right, so our first film is uh definitely in in some regards uh, a bit of a controversial one in some ways and i'm not talking about just the content but uh among fanboys and and movie fans and uh this is a, a blu-ray we received from uh, a good friend of the show great friend of the show martin over in the great continent known as europe i hope i'm saying that right i, hope I'm, but <laughs> I think so i think it is yes. a continent. yes yeah
2: yeah and uh holland of course to be yes. more specific yes, indeed. uh yeah, through a store omg-entertainment.com.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is the Arrow Blu-ray, and uh, this is a, well, we'll talk about it some more here in a little bit. And uh, let me just give a brief synopsis of the film here. Uh, City of the Living Dead, 1980. Actually, both films are from 1980. This Now, this is the second time this has happened to us now. Uh, that's pretty crazy. I didn't even notice that until just now.
2: <clears throat> oh, yeah. I thought, cause for some reason, I thought City of the Living Dead was, was um,
1: 81. Yeah. I, yeah I thought it was 83. I have no idea why. Cause I think conquest was 83. <laughs> yes. So anyway, uh, but, uh, this is from 1980. Uh, it's a interesting film. Uh, synopsis a reporter in a psychic race to close the gates of hell after, uh, the suicide of a clergyman caused them to open, allowing the dead to rise from the grave. Okay. So that's a pretty basic plot synopsis, uh, directed by one Lucio Fulci, um, a director that, uh, we both like a great deal. Uh, so we'll we'll talk more about him as well so anyway i know you have a uh a bit of an interesting history with this film or not a history so much but uh it's uh, some some commentary about it and i want to hear your opinion of it obviously and and i have some interesting things i'd like to say about it too so and uh we wanted to review this blu-ray obviously for the show and for you know for martin uh, you know helping us so let's get into it while i stumble on everything i'm drinking this coffee
2: okay um <laughs> Yeah, so, (coughs) City of the Living Dead. Um, Fulci is a director that, um, until i would had a chance to see a lot beyond his gore stuff, because as a youngster, let's face it, when a lot of us watch horror movies, I think as a youngster, Giallo don't really hold much. I mean, other than the breasts and stuff, but I don't think you can really appreciate watching a Giallo film as a youngster, I think, as much as when you're a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, Fulci's gore stuff, you know, The Beyond and Zombie and in this, and uh, House by the Cemetery, etc., <clears throat> hold more for the young man. So this was one of the early films I've seen of Folches, and uh, I, I've made no secret of the fact that I really didn't care for it too much. Um, you know, monkey sounds and all. And when I say that to people that haven't seen it, what, it, what I mean is <laughs> the film takes place in Say, uh, no, Dun, Dunwich. Uh, but, you know, presumably Massachusetts. Um, yeah. They do make the crime of putting. Um, two people in satin Yankee jackets versus Red Sox jackets, if it's in Massachusetts. But you know, looking, overlooking that, um, the monkey sounds that occur when people are walking around the village, and and it just really got to me and that's one of the the things I always bring up but uh, I I was interested to see this game specifically because we got the Blu-ray from Martin um, and this to kind of revisit the film through different eyes and and through a different appreciation of Fulci because out of his gore stuff I think the one I like most is Zombie which isn't a trendy pick but Right. Know, I still think it's it's upper echelon zombie film. You and I both I think love the genre, but really loathe how oversaturated it is. Yeah, you know, as if, a zombi- if done well, it's great.
1: But. Yeah, as a zombie film, it's a great film. As a film, I think it's quite overrated. But <laughs> yeah, some of Fulci's gore stuff, anyway, I think is honestly I think it's very overrated. But uh, I mean, there's some good stuff. I mean, I like the Beyond a lot, but. The, uh, yeah, I agree with you. He's he's t- he tends to be better in his jolly, uh, and he's actually you know pretty good in his westerns. But some of his gore stuff is is all over the place.
2: Yeah, and it's he he seems uh, <clears throat> he seems sometimes to have an idea for a gore set piece that you know otherwise he's just stringing pieces along with, with dialogue and everything to get to the next gore set piece. That's the the big critique I think I have of him, which is almost like what I had with Miki's uh, Takeshi Miki's lesser work for me was that it was just strung together to throw another bizarre what the fuck kind of uh, scene into the film Uh um in saying that I knew what I was getting involved with um and I do want to say Arrow Video puts out a beautiful package with this film um you can reverse the cover. It comes with the poster. It comes with the lobby cards. Mm-hmm. I particularly love the Indonesian and Thai lobby cards. <laughs>
1: yes, those are nice.
2: Those are fucking awesome. One yeah. looks like a really uh, unnerving episode of Scooby-Doo with the girl with like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the yellow eyes. Like, uh, So very cool stuff. Um, it's our first Blu-ray that we've, we've reviewed officially as a Blu-ray on the show, as we right. mentioned.
1: Yeah, I've watched some uh, other films on Blu-ray, but this is... Actually, you know, our view of a film on uh, Blu-ray, which we'll, we'll keep mentioning over and over again.
2: Yes. Uh, Railway, right you know, the film does look quite good. It, I don't think it has, you know, you'd said this, it doesn't have any business looking as good as it does now. You know, with blues, I'm always going to judge them really hard because, you know, it's Blu-ray. Um, there's a moment it looks a little soft, but all in all, I couldn't believe how good the film looked in Blu-ray. I mean, it, it's not a film that lends itself, I think, to the format necessarily as obviously as some films would, like... Right. Um, you know, like Speed Racer, or you know mm-hmm. other sort of visual spectacles, but it looks really good, man. Yeah. Uh,
1: Although I have to say that because of Fulci, the one thing I think the one strength of Fulci, uh, the one strength that is inarguable, is that most of his films uh, have a. a I mean, he he. Well, obviously, he doesn't light his own films, but his films have kind of a time, uh, timelessness when it comes to the lighting and things. Uh, I think that uh, you know the atmosphere in this film is re- is really good. Uh, uh-huh. It is a little, you know, the the soundtrack. I'll agree with you is is where it kind of goes off the rails. But
2: oh no no no, I quite disagree. I love the I love the score. For oh, the
1: I'm song. not talking about the music. I'm talking about uh, oh, monkey the, the, noises, the, <laughs>
2: the monkeys and the baboons and the. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it reaches like a feverish pitch. Yeah.
1: Maybe I should have said like the foley sounds or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> is where it kind of goes off the rails. But uh, you know, maybe he had maybe he was working with Scorsese and Raging Bull or something. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I'm talking about. I mean, the the music's great. The music is great. The the it intro's is. music's great. That's all great. Great Italian uh, genre stuff. And I think it's, uh, is it Fritzi? Uh,
2: I believe it is Fabio Fritzi, yes. Yeah,
1: Fabio Fritzi. And, uh, but what I've always liked about Fulci stuff, and we talked about this when we talked about Conquest, the infamous Conquest re- uh, review. Uh, you know, I mean, of course, there's, there's fog in here. There's some smoke machines. Uh, and I, shot, I know they shot a good chunk of this in Savannah, Georgia, I believe, uh, which is interesting when you think about it. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, I just think he has a Fulci's one of those few directors <clears throat> to me, and what he has over somebody like Argento and stuff is I think his films are kind of timeless looking. Uh, they, they just look great. Uh, I think the lighting in his films are pretty great. Now I'm not saying that, that Argento's films don't look great because they do. One of the big things about Argento that you can argue is his strength is the fact that he's very much a stylist. But what I'm saying is, is that his style is very of its time. Which is, you know, great seventies cinema. And it is what it is, Giallo and things like that. But and, and even Fulci in that genre is is really great, but the oh, yeah. the I don't know how I'm trying to say this, but I'm just I think that, you know, this this film doesn't feel like a film from nineteen eighty. And maybe that's the Blu ray, I don't know. I mean, of course the first time I saw this film was on VHS. And yeah. uh it was it was murky at best. <laughs> and uh which added a certain quality to the film because the film's you know, it's it's very it's very much a ragtag thing, and of course I'd have heard all these rumors about how graphic it is and how crazy it is and you've not seen nothing till you've seen Gates of Hell. You know, which is also an, an alternate title for the film. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, but maybe it's the Blu-ray or not. but this film really felt it really felt very modern to me uh rewatching it. And I've, I had, I rewatched it once when I got it, and then I rewatched it again for the show. And I still had the same feeling. I still had the same feeling of man, this thing this thing feels really it feels really modern and it's really strange to me. And maybe it is a Blu-ray. I don't know, but I've not really had that experience with very many Blu-rays.
2: Um, I will say I agree with you. I think his films are—they're well lit in the sense that they evoke what what I think he tries to evoke. A lot of times when people talk about Forte and these films, his gore films particularly, they talk about you know, kind of the the nightmare feel and they don't make a lot of sense logically but they have this nightmare feel which it comes into that whole italian horror movie logic thing nothing i think exemplifies that more than Fulci's gore films um so yeah and i love the lighting of his films because it is kind of stark and spot, and it does definitely work well with with what he's trying to evoke um my problem always was with his gore films that and this i think is the one of the exceptions to the rule is that he focuses so much, to me, in my opinion, on the gore set pieces. The other other yes. aspects of film are overlooked: meaning score, yes, meaning lighting, meaning this, meaning performances from his actors, uh, s- script certainly. Um, but in this, the score is amazing. It's well lit. Uh, so those are two aspects that really you know uh,
1: stand out for me in this film. And you might be um, right more so on this film than maybe any of his other films. <laughs> this one might be the most set piece driven. I mean, it's arguable, but this one might be the most set piece driven film that he did, or at least it's renowned, I would say, because a lot of people, there's some people out there that really love this movie.
2: Oh, for sure there are, for sure there are. The Beyond also, you know, I think right around that time, like I think 80 to like 83 or something, you know, uh, somewhere in there I think has been, he really um, was kind of, his his high-end or high-water mark uh, gore stuff was really out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the film, it opens quite well, uh, you know, by all means, uh, with this priest hanging himself. And it's, it's kind of a great, it's got a great kind of guitar and it's acoustic. And listen, hey, seeing a priest hang himself, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of an unsettling thing to see. Seeing anyone hang themselves, yeah. when you see that and, you know, yeah. It, uh... Still
1: to this day, I don't know what he stood up on to hang himself so high on the tree, but that's okay.
2: Yeah, no, that's the thing I I said to my wife. Because here's the cool thing my wife, my mother in law watched this with me last night. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know,
1: I'm sure she she enjoyed the uh, worm covered dead baby.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they right away, they, you know, they, they didn't hate it, but they were good sports about it. Um, my wife knows what to expect with me. My mother in law does to a lesser degree because she's watched like a Tale of Two Sisters with us and right, right. and a couple others. So she's she's pretty cool. I mean, I felt bad because normally if, if she's going to come over, I'll hole up in my computer room and watch it there. But I had to. Them guys, there's no way around this. It's a Blu-ray. I got to watch it on the TV. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we just kind of laid back and, and watched it, but. uh that sounds actually kind of bizarre and creepy. I didn't mean we all laid together in like this big bed and watched it. That's unintentionally creepy. Yes. Um, we all sat on the sectional and watched it.
1: Please keep um, your uh, fulci GS fantasies to yourself, please.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what else do I got here? Uh, yeah, so there's there's a great kind of dreamy it, – it, it really doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't have to. And I think that's the thing with Fulci, you have to kind of let go of all that when you're going to watch these films, if you're going to enjoy them in any way. Um. The bit with the blow up doll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I like that. I don't know why. It's bizarre. Like uh, 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 Giovanni Lombardo Radici, he, he you know plays kind of this village idiot uh, character in, in, <laughs> yeah. a, in the, the satin Yankee jacket and the kind of soup bowl haircut to yes. make him look like he's younger than he is, which is sort of a strange Italian thing that <laughs> if people are far far older than they should be playing boys
1: mm-hmm. in films. I know, I know. <laughs>
2: And that of course is done to even greater effect in uh in Burial Ground with the boy sucking at his mother's breast or the man oh, yeah. playing a boy. You
1: know, that on the- I just <laughs> was looking through uh Giovanni Lobardo Radici's uh filmography and realized that he's making the sequel to House on the Edge of the Park with the Dadado right now. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: I don't know how he's no, he's gonna have to play a different role. I hope I don't spoil anything by saying that.
1: His name's Ricky in the
2: He was Ricky in the first one could have sworn. Maybe,
1: maybe maybe it's flashback stuff You know. Yeah, maybe s- i
2: don't know how are you gonna flashback now though <laughs> <laughs> no idea dude looks a lot older man looks
1: like d'addo's you know he's gonna be revisiting a lot of his stuff i guess
2: well he's doing cannibals which is like cannibal uh apocalypse cannibal apocalypse cannibal holocaust
1: sequel and you know, it's gonna take place in the city Rid- Ridici, he's, he's an interesting guy he he does a commentary on this i listen to some of it <laughs> and uh he's a very you know he's a very italian gentleman he gets very very excited you know and Oh, and yeah. loves to talk and stuff, and he's he's got some pretty interesting stories about behind the scenes. I did listen to the commentary with uh, Kater- uh, Katerina McCall, yeah, and it's pretty fucking fascinating. So if you haven't listened yeah, to it yet, yeah, make sure you three, listen to
2: that. There's three commentaries, and I think I, I want to say before I forget, the special features are quite good. There's like a fifty-five-zero minute documentary on the I think the lives and deaths of Giovanni Lamberto Radici, which it goes film by film and talks about his brutal deaths in film, starting with House <laughs> of the Edge of the Park, ironically, yes. And and all the all the way up through, um, you know, it, it's really interesting. I think he's an interesting character actor from you know the genres we love. Um, it has a great interview with Katrina McCall. It interviews uh, Fulci's daughter. Um, it, there's a bunch of other people interviewed. Um, and the, the the I don't know if you saw them, but the the title sequences for all the special features are fantastic. They look sort of Tim Burton meets. Um, uh, michelle Gondry DIY kind of creepy spooky they look really great i can't remember the name of the company that did them
1: i can't remember either but i know what you're talking about they nice. do look good
2: they look really good so special features a lot of bang for your buck here should be said yes um you know so yeah the picture looks really good um i always love in horror films when you get the non believers like there's the fucking guys in the bar in this one <laughs> yeah. and you know shit's really starting to hit the fan and this wall splits and like this Fulci fog comes out and, and the barkeep slash owner says, Oh, a few beers and you fellas are all over the place. A truck could have went by and the, you know, this mirror has smashed and you know, this guy is just, he's one of those non-believers right until the very end.
1: And there's another actor in there that's uh, in quite a few Italian films, but I can't remember his name. He's an older gentleman, but he's, he's in there and damn if I can't remember his name. But the reason why I bring him up is because I was watching some of, uh, the special features on the, uh, the horror or the terror express, uh, DVD we got.
2: And, oh yes.
1: And he's in that film. So he'll come up mm. again at some point.
2: Yeah. And it should be to Christopher George is in this and I, yeah. I love Christopher George in this, you know, Grizzlies and some other genre stuff. Um, day of the animals, uh, you know, he's, he's to me what David Warbeck should have been in these Italian films. Yes. He was great, man. I'm yeah. Christopher,
1: really... Yeah. Christopher George. I mean, you know, he has an interesting career. I think I talked to him a little bit when I talked about that one Western I watched and he was in it and stuff. And, uh you know, and then his career he kind of got into the grindhouse. You know, and uh, oh yeah, I mean it's a pretty infamous films, so the infamous pieces, yes, and uh, the also infamous, which we'll cover at some point on the show, the Exterminator. So,
2: which yeah, we're both big fans of the Ginty, and <laughs>
1: yes, you know that'll be fun. <laughs> he has def- definitely got to day the An- day of the animals, Dixie Dynamite. I mean, he's got a very interesting career.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, no, he he definitely does, and he almost feels like yeah, like I said, what. Uh, Warbeck should have been but you know he reminds me of almost like George Siegel meets Chris Connolly you know he's he's great man I I really enjoyed him he's one of these American actors that I think understood his stuff and was charming enough to enjoy his performances in these films he's not flat or boring
1: yeah yeah Yeah, he knew his he knew his role
2: (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um you know the stuff that looked the best to me in this whole film and you'll hear me talk about it later is the stuff in the coffin with Catriona McCall
1: yeah yeah, it looks with, great and holy fuck with the blues and you got the mirror in the yeah. coffin and and a lot um, of people might know this, might not know this, uh strong inspiration for the uh the buried alive scene in Kill Bill 2, right? Absolutely. Yeah,
2: that's that's talked about in the on the disc. Yes. Um it's got a great thing with a mirror in a coffin, which I know is not an Italian um custom mm-hmm. um i don't know if it's uh it, i don't know i can't imagine it being american and me not knowing about it do you know if this
1: uh no i, I do not know actually i do not know I, I would hate to i would hate to imply that i did know by saying something but i do not know there's a lot of great moments in that scene too the great scene with the uh the kind of pickaxe type utensil i know oh, that yeah on that commentary with mccall i know she says that uh, that's takes that's really taking place and that that wasn't very far from her face
2: well, you can see that, and I said to my wife and my mother-in-law when they were filming this, I said, you know, this is one of those things we all take for granted nowadays, but someone had to get in that box. <laughs> yeah. And and they could have tested it a hundred times, and they could have pushed that pickaxe right into the hilt,
1: mm-hmm.
2: through the wood. Yes. But when it's an inch or two from someone's face, it doesn't take much for things to go wrong and her to get a fucking pickaxe through the eyeball.
1: Yes, exactly. The one thing I will say, and of course, you know, with Fulci, you're always worried about eyeballs. Yes. but <laughs> one, one thing I will say, because of the Blu-ray, that coffin immediately looks like the most fake coffin ever made.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's got this kind of black velvety. I don't know. It's, it's really strange. Yeah, no, it does.
1: <laughs> it I immediately know. looks like the fakest thing I've ever seen. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Totally. It, uh, it does look fake. Um, but inside the coffin, it's got that blue hue and there's pink roses in there and it looked fucking fantastic.
1: Oh, yeah. Very atmospheric. I mean, that's the one thing I'll say about Fulci, man. I mean, very little money. we got to think about Fulci for a second. I mean, this is a guy who worked low budget most of the time, 90% yeah. of the time. But yet somehow, like a lot of these great Italian directors, and I don't consider him a master so much, but I do consider him a great Italian director. He, he really knew how to stretch the buck to make it look fantastic. And I say van <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah. No, he did. He really did because he wasn't always working with great budgets, to be fair to him. Um, you know, did we get his his kind of uh, the vintage Fulci the eye, Fulci eye shots? Oh yeah. Uh, there's, I don't know if there's really any eye trauma in this, but we do get a lot of eyes being shot in the films, which I think he had to have been influenced by Leone
1: <clears throat> in terms of that. Um, we get eye bleeding, but uh, which is yeah. awesome, but
2: not that which trauma. is yeah quite awesome. Yeah, very awesome. Um there's one thing... Uh, actually, I'll, I'll talk about it when I get about it here. Um, you know one thing I wish he had have done? Like, there's stuff in the film that, again, the Blu-ray really helps it when it's... There's, um, like, these gels over the lights. There's, like, teal ones and violet ones and red ones and pink ones. If they had lit the whole film to a degree like that, I mean, then it's getting kind of superior territory. But if they had done more like that, I think it would have gone great lengths for me in terms of appreciating it more because because you know everyone always the, the defense is nightmare nightmare feel nightmare feel well you add all that to it and I think it's going to make it even more nightmarish um, and mm-hmm. doesn't have to make sense because it's a nightmare as everyone says so right, right. I would have liked to have seen some of those those gels used in other parts of the film because I think they looked great especially mm-hmm. in Blu-ray
1: right that's true
2: um, the, the one of the centerpiece kind of gore pieces when there, there's the blood in the eyes which still looks great I mean thirty years on the chick vomits up her stomach and oh
1: yeah and, and i found out i found out uh we actually know how his name is pronounced now there's a michaelie suave yeah we already knew that yeah i thought you just called it. i thought you said i thought you called him something else but maybe that maybe but anyway oh, Michele, i can yeah. i can say it now let's say that <laughs> but uh good old Michele suave uh, pops up again there
2: yeah he does he's trying to get his uh <laughs> his dick on and or no it's not maybe that's the opposite of what he was trying to do <laughs> trying to get his muff on and he he uh doesn't quite work out as planned for for poor McKaylee, but yeah.
1: um, of course know, the like inf- the infamy of that scene is, is that they used real tripe. Uh, she had to swallow a bunch of thought, real tripe and uh, spit it out. So, uh, pleasant <clears throat> pleasant day for uh, Daniela Diora. Is that how you say her name? Uh, Dan- I believe so. Daniela Doria. Oh, da- uh,
2: Daniela Doria. Yeah,
1: Daniela Doria. There you go, Doria, not Diora. I didn't have her name in front of me. Of course, you know she was in. She's been in quite a few infamous uh, films. Including, oh, yeah. including but, one of your favorite uh, full cheese, the Ripper. There,
2: yeah, I love it, man. We'll get to that on Blue, <clears throat> but yeah, that that scene looks great um, with her eyes and her vom when she vomits her And I could tell, you know, I thought to myself when she was vomiting up um, the intestines, I thought to myself, she that that looked real because I mean, I you know, <laughs> I deal with those whenever we do the sausage and the super the salami. Yes. You have to put them in that liner, right? And that looked real to me. And, and the greatest moment of that scene is right before it cuts to being obviously fake, when uh-huh. her mouth—you could tell—is so full. Yeah, like that poor girl, man. She must have <laughs> gagged a few times. Yeah,
1: evidently. Dov, uh, I know. On one of the things, they said that she was. Uh, she got quite uh, violently ill. Which, you know, I mean, if, if I come over to your house and say, "Hey, look, Will, I'm going to shoot this scene, but I need you to put six pounds of tripe in your mouth." <laughs> yeah. And spit it out. I, I'd say you're probably gonna you're probably gonna throw up. <laughs>
2: yeah because the smell is awful
1: yeah it it, 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 it goes but ba- it goes bad quick too and you know there's no telling how long it you know it's full cheese he probably set the shot up for a while and stuff it's a great scene i i would argue it might be the most infamous scene from this film
2: yeah i would think i think it's probably the one well that and the drill are the two that really
1: yeah the drill looks great too yeah that's, that's the drill looks one.
2: amazing i still don't know how they pulled it off
1: yeah it still looks incredibly real
2: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And I know I was hoping in the the documentary feature, the Verdiche, he says, oh, that, that scene looked a lot, it was a lot easier than it looked. And yeah. I thought, okay, tell me, tell And then he doesn't fucking say anything. And I'm yeah. like, oh. Yes. Because me, me and my wife are guessing. We're like, did they do it like almost like the Steve Martin, like, arrow <laughs> thing? You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I, I thought like, how did they do it? So if anyone knows, call in, man. I, yeah. I'd, I'd love to know exactly how they did that because it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um. I didn't know Billy Drago uh, had a love child with Dean Stockwell and he was a mortician. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm laughing because I'm sitting there thinking about that guy's face and I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. And you also get to see uh, Fulci's in this one. He pops up in as a a coroner at one point, I think.
2: Oh, nice. I didn't catch that. I should have.
1: Wearing his big glasses and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and We'll we'll see more Fulci on screen. We're going to cover a film where he's on screen a lot. So he's actually not a bad actor.
2: No, no, he's okay. You know who he reminds me of in his older, more kind of portly, stately years is, uh, is Orson Welles, when he's got the beard and everything and like the tweed.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He would always dress like that and stuff, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very very gentlemanly.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I want to say Janet Agren pops up in this. Oh, uh, yes. You know, love Janet Agren. You heard of Hands of Steel fame. Yes. Paco's main squeeze.
1: <laughs> yes. So, she looks good in this film. Again, another actress who has a great, great filmography of, yes. of interesting films.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely.
1: Is she? Um, you know, I don't know if I asked this when we did Hands of Steel. Is she Italian? No, she's Swedish. Swedish, yeah. There we go. That's right. We talked about that a little bit. The speed. I think it's uh, funny that I'm looking at her filmography, and off to the right, Amazon's trying to sell me the greatest collection of Freddy Fender.
2: Oh nice. I don't know how that relates, but I'm down for some Freddy. We gotta put drop some Freddy Fender on people, man.
1: Drop some Freddy Fender on her. Yeah. <laughs> and that might sound like Tiny Tim a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah,
2: there. Yeah. A little much t- too much tip through the tulips. Yes. <laughs> um, um but yeah, I will say this porn level dialogue at best.
1: Yes, yes, and uh, Evidently, he used a few, uh, I'm just going by some of the special features I watched. I know there's a couple of actors in here who worked in that industry. so Makes sense. Uh, yeah, it all makes sense when you think about it. I mean, of course, a lot of those porn stars from the 70s did work in Italian cinema. I know that because, uh, like, uh, I think Robert Carmen, who's infamous for being a Cannibal Holocaust, I think that's his name. He was in uh, Debbie Does Dallas and other stuff like that, and those porn movies and stuff. And oddly, pops up in like I think the first Spider Man movie was Sam Raimi. (laughs) Sometimes you know these guys pop up out of nowhere, man. You know it's like, wait a minute, that's Robert Carmen. He was in Cannibal Holocaust, and I'm sitting there watching him, and he's the steamboat captain in Spider Man.
2: (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that, considering the line of work they were in before mainstream films.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) And he's always interesting to talk to, anyway, Carmen, because you know he. It's it's like he and this is totally off the subject but some of these guys you know it's like they regret their careers almost and it's like you know he always feels bad about some of the porn he did and he feels he's terry he feels terrible about the cannibal holocaust stuff yeah because you know he was there for a lot of the really bad stuff so you know he he doesn't like to talk about it too much i know that because he was
2: a ringleader of the douchebags
1: yeah he didn't he didn't really like to talk about it (laughs) so yeah i don't blame him mm -hmm. i don't blame him um
2: As usual, I think there's. I love the score for this film, but I just think there wasn't quite enough music at times, or or score to yeah. The real power. The
1: real power of the score is right at the get-go. Yes. And also, the great thing about the Blu-ray is is that you pop it in, and when the menus are on, you get some of that music too, which is really really great. It's almost got a. It's almost got a Kubrick feel, like a, like a Clockwork Orange feel in a way.
2: Yeah, it's really great. It's kind of slow and just very ominous and powerful. And it just, it's good. It's just, it's this dread. It just kind of keeps going. And, you know, it's, it's really great, man. It almost, it almost evokes like these zombie like creatures. Just they keep going. And it it just, it's pretty good. Um, what's not so good is outside of the, the really loud monkeys, is is at one point there's a 50s ray gun noise put in, which (laughs) doesn't make any sense. But,
1: you know, yes, indeed. Um,
2: yeah, a lot of the stuff looked good. The glass with the blood is ridiculous as it was looked really good in Blu-ray. Um, one thing I do, again, another criticism, it's just a lazy thing more than anything. When they're cutting day and night together, like when Christopher George and Katrina McCall are coming back, to going to Dunwich, and then the stuff that's already taking place in Dunwich is nighttime, and it cuts to them, and it's daytime still. Mm-hmm. You know, that stuff was lazy, because I think when you break back to daytime, you break the tension that you're building and manufacturing, so to go back to daytime, it's like it's safe again that score could should have been used and the editing at night time should have been used to just build and ratchet up the dread until we got to just past midnight when, you know, all saints day happens. That's really going to drive the film a lot further. Uh, I think than, than doing it that way.
1: I agree with that statement. And also I agree with the fact that that's the one thing about this film. If anything drives me crazy, it's not so much the fact that you have this film, which is basically a series of set pieces. Yeah. Uh I can get behind that to a degree because there's a lot of nice style to it and stuff and a real nice stretch budget. I mean the whole back end of the film is a pretty impressive piece of set design mm-hmm. when you consider the amount of money uh, which I don't even know how much it costs but I know Fulci never worked with a lot of money. Uh but the amount of gaffes as you would say or mistakes oh, in the filmmaking in this film. I mean if if honestly we could do a whole review on the amount of mistakes <laughs> I yeah. am just, just from the get-go, from the beginning where you got a priest hanging himself, but you don't know how he got up there, uh, I mean, there's no logic. And, of course, people always – the one thing that drives me crazy about this film, if there's anything that drives me nuts about this film, is the defenders who say it's a masterpiece. And I'm always like, well, no, it's not. It, it's, it's a not mess. Yeah. It's a mess of a movie. It's not a masterpiece at all. Is some of it visually impressive? Yes. But if you think about it as a film, it is a total mess. Yeah, and it, th- there's no logic to it, and then they'll always say, "Well, it's a nightmare. It's not supposed to be real logical." I'm like, "Well, I don't know if I believe that because David Lynch does nightmares very well, and somehow they make sense to me. Uh, I think you know, like Lost Highway. That's a great example of a nightmare on 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 uh, on, uh, can't, on screen." And, Absolutely. Stuff. you know, even Eraserhead and stuff like that. I mean, he's a great example of me, like the feverish nightmare on screen. Now, there's some great moments in here that are nightmarish, but if you're really going to sit around and think about it, man, not, a lot of the stuff in here is not logical. And, and that's the argument I get from, you know, people who want to talk Fulci with me. They always say, oh, I can't believe you always get Fulci hell. And, you know, he made this, you know, what about what does City of the Living Dead? It's a masterpiece. I'm like, well, no, it's not a masterpiece. And they're like, oh, yeah, it is a masterpiece. And I'm like, no, no, buddy, come on. Let's be honest with each other. It's It's a mess.
2: <laughs> masterpiece films there's rarely much people can say to criticize them. Yes. That's what a masterpiece is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You may quite enjoy a film, but a masterpiece means you can defend a lot of the stuff and you can't use the nightmare thing as a catch-all for every mistake in the film.
1: Yes. And that, and that's then that's typically, you know, with this film. I know you've had this experience when talking about this movie, probably with other people. I always hear that. I always say, well, it's a nightmare caught on film. And I'm like, so so that means it doesn't have to make sense because nightmares don't make sense. I understand. I have nightmares. Everybody who's a human being should probably should probably or have had a nightmare. But even if you think about your nightmares really closely, somehow, some way, you got to get to the nightmare scenario. It's got to make sense somehow. Mm-hmm. And this one, you know, it's just like you said, it's a lot of great set pieces. And the nightmare logic argument has never worked with me.
2: No. No. Uh, I just got a
1: couple more notes here because I know we're, we're you know pressing on
2: the drill stuff we said looks great. Um, there's maggot bukaki
1: in this. <laughs> there's a lot of worms and maggots in this film.
2: <clears throat> oh man! And I, I listened to when they interviewed Katrina McCall and she said those were real maggots. It was a combination of of maggots and rice.
1: Yes, and that's that's uh, I guess that might be the other one of the other more notable scenes. I mean that is an insane scene. Yeah. I don't think you'd see that today. I don't think you'd see somebody do that today. No chance. Even the rice is dangerous when you think about it.
2: Oh, yeah, man.
1: I don't know about you, but uh, I remember when, when I got married to my wife, my mother-in-law asked if we wanted the rice. And uh, I remembered being a kid and throwing rice at my uncle and aunt when they got married or aunt, however you want to say it. <laughs> we say aunt down here. So and right. and uh, I remember getting a piece of rice in my eye. And that memory was quite graphic that I said, hey, you know, why don't we throw confetti or something? Let's, uh, let's not do the rice.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, man. It, especially, it's hard, man. If it was boiled, maybe, but I don't think they boiled it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, maybe in this they did because they had to have some of it stick to them. So maybe there is some boiled rice in there. But yeah, maybe so. There's maybe definitely, so. there's definitely an exorbitant amount of maggots. I don't know if I've ever seen so many maggots on screen before.
2: Yeah, and a lot of them. Are, yeah, just facials for maggots. It's pretty insane. And
1: I, I, I'm not, I'm not like <clears throat> averse to like worms and things. I mean, I, I fish. I know you fish. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm not. They don't creep me out or anything, but I have, uh, you know, moved some garbage in my day, and there's been like a Oof. pile of maggots, and for some reason, uh, they freak me out.
2: I, I agree. I, I I get queasy with maggots every summer, man. It's the same. I try to fight off the maggots and the garbage thing, especially you know with diapers and stuff. Right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You're gonna fight oh, it, man. And something about maggots. I guess. I guess it, it's if usually if they're around, the garbage is pretty rank. So maybe it's just the combination of the two.
2: Yeah, the smell is very sour, okay. and it's—I think it evokes uh, this thing of rot. Oh God!
1: You know what it's, I mean? It's awful, it's, awful, yeah, awful, awful. Then um, I, I think I told this. I don't know if I told it on the air. I told this story. My wife threw away a—we had some few chicken breasts that were left over in the freezer, and she just—she—you know—she wasn't thinking. She just threw them in the garbage can, and within—not—not not with the bag sealed or anything. She just threw the breasts in the garbage can, and we didn't have to set the garbage out for another six days, and it was a summer. And I went out there, and when I opened that garbage can, I'd never seen so many maggots. And that smell—the smell of rotten chicken meat—is one of the worst smells. I mean, any kind of meat that rots is terrible. When people you hear people in movie and film say the sweet smell of death, you know, of course they're being you know facetious a little bit. There's nothing really sweet about it at all. And uh, oh my God, well, I mean, I I can't even begin to describe (laughs) the the smell that went into my nasal cavity.
2: Yeah, and you'll probably always remember that smell.
1: Uh, to this day, I remember it. I threw away that garbage can. Let's put it that way. I told the yeah. guy that takes the garbage, just take the whole fucking can, man. I don't want it back.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. When it's, oh, God, yeah, garbage can be worse than shit. It is worse than shit in a lot of ways. Yes, Grease is terrible. We've probably talked about that. Um a couple more minor minor notes. Uh there's a great shot of some coffins empty, it's almost like the town, all the dead have risen. But I wish they had have had lined up like fifteen coffins. Like they have like three or four and maybe that's a budgetary thing, so fair enough. But I think it would look great if you had pulled back and there's just more and more coffins and they're all fucking empty.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know. Um yeah, there's J and B in this, which is which is great. It shows up near the end of the film, but yes. I really gotta ask: with the non-believing bartender, why leave the bar? They got Schlitz on tap. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that Schlitz will neon, give you the shits.
2: <laughs> yeah, they got the neon Schlitz sign. Uh, you,
1: ever, you ever you ever had some Schlitz? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. And
2: when I go camping, I like to drink cheap American canned beer like uh, Pabst and, oh, yes. and Schlitz and, you know.
1: Although I'll, I'll argue that Pabst has a, uh, for me, Pabst has a kind of an infamous reputation, but I don't think it's really a bad beer.
2: No, it's not terrible, man. I wouldn't drink it if it was that bad. But uh, no. <clears throat> actually, I quite like Pabst on a, a summer day. But uh, yes, yes, that nice. may be blasphemous to some. But uh, so what? I drink it, not them. So
1: <laughs> Exactly. Good. Um,
2: good. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, man. Bang for the buck. Uh Couple more This is my last two notes. Uh, you know, we talked about the '50s Gun and the Monkeys, but they seem to borrow like Zap and Roger, like that auto y kind of <laughs> noise near the back of the film. I just I didn't quite understand. I kept waiting to hear like
5: baby, 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 baby. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: just fucking bizarre. And then they, he borrows his own zombie tune near the end of the film. It's a, it's just like it's slightly rejigged for this film. Um, I gotta ask you, man. I didn't understand it when I first seen it. I certainly didn't understand it now the ending to this film. What fucking happens? Like, I don't get it. Well... Do you, do you get it, or can we talk about off the air? Because it just makes no sense to me.
1: I won't give it away, uh, for those who haven't seen it, because I'm sure there's some who haven't seen the film. <clears throat> the, the only logic I have for that, and of course I'm sure there's somebody out there who loves full genes, gonna say that it's all part of the what he was going for and stuff. To me, the only real logic I have is that he didn't know how to end this movie. And, yeah. uh, he just came up with some kind of wacky, crazy, and I have to—I have to say it's—it's it's memorable. Uh, yeah, we can—we can sit here and say it's a memorable ending. There's no doubt about that. But it's, dude, I, I don't know. I, to this day, from the first day I've seen this film to to just this week again, I still have always had big issues with the ending. And and usually oh, with yeah. those kind of endings, I'm usually okay. But this one doesn't leave you contemplating as much as it just leaves you going, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and if I would have saw this film in theaters, I probably would have been pissed. It's one of those kind of endings.
2: It is. <laughs> it absolutely is.
1: Like, uh, didn't we see? Oh yeah, when we t- when we saw uh, the ape, was it the ape? Was that that, that film we saw at TIFF? And, and oh yeah, were you were you vocally uh, say, "Come on!" <laughs> at the <Yeah>. ending,
2: <laughs> like Job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it,
1: uh... That's what I would have been in the theater if I have saw this. I'd be like, "Come on," <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, it was just one of those man.
1: Really weird. Is that all your notes?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, again, sorry about the language. no,
1: no, no problem. I, I got a lot of my stuff in while you were talking, so it worked out. I don't have a whole lot more to add. Uh, I talked about the fantastic shots, but the film is a bit of a mess. And you know, this is actually the you know we could I guess done this as a Trillo GG TMC. We could have done this one, and of course, uh, I guess the Beyond and the House by the Cemetery. Right? That's
2: yeah. That's those it. are I think is three kind of prestige gore films, if you want to use the yeah, term. That kind
1: of an unofficial trilogy. Mm-hmm. I believe I think Cinema Diabolica covered them uh toward the back end of their run i believe they covered on the gates of hell trilogy i think they called it uh, or i think it's what it's called it's kind of an unofficial trilogy but they are they all kind of similar in in tone and stuff uh i think me and you both think the beyond is the best of the three yeah i would say so yeah so i think we both got that going for us um uh, uh, the best criticism I can give this film is it, it's a it's a fun film to watch for the set pieces. Visually, it's stimulating. It's interesting. Narrative-wise, it's oh, it's a total mess and stuff. And it's really, really rough. And and I would only show this to people who are really interested. If they've never seen it, I would only show it to people who are really interested in either uh, Italian cinema, maybe, or just Fulci in general. Uh, because this would not be the kind of film, like, if I was going to turn somebody on to, if somebody told me that they don't have a lot of knowledge of italian cinema this would not be one of the ones that comes to the top of the heap
2: no because if you don't like italian cinema then you don't understand italian genre cinema conventions and those will bother you if you like conventional film
1: yes and uh, you know it's just in such a mess in so many ways and And, i I do know people who don't really like italian cinema though that do like this film i don't know why maybe it was just they watched it yeah maybe they watched it at the right age i mean you know you're right when you're a teenager or a young, maybe pre-adolescent to a young man, and if you get a hold of something like this, you will think it's very cool. I mean, I thought it was cool when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, before I could get old enough to know, you know, what I really liked in cinema, you know, I would say, oh, man, let's watch City of the Living Dead, and we would rent it often. It's not like, you know, something we didn't rent, but, you know, I was going through a zombie phase. I was young. You know, I, think, I still think zombie films are 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 for the young, because I really don't think, as an adult, there's not very many of them that uh, really hold any real interesting themes outside of apocalypse or, you know, consumerism, which, you know... <laughs> like well, how many was, times can you... Yeah, or like Miles says, they are us, you know, that yeah. type of thing. You know, I don't know how many yeah. times we can do that, or that, you know, with it consistently being interesting. Eventually, that even gets boring, so...
2: Yeah, that was good, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years
1: yeah. ago. And the one thing I will say about this film, I add to it, this review, is... You know, Fulci always had an interest in the macabre, and and this one is very. This one's got some very nice gothic feel to it. Like, there's a little bit of like, well, uh, oh, I don't know, like uh, some a little bit of your universal monster movie type stuff in here with the set design, and uh, of course the great uh, the room they're in with the uh, seance and stuff that has a great gothic feel to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Really like that stuff. Uh, that other actor with the curly hair, he was he's actually in that Terror Express film too. I can't remember his name, man, but he's he's a good actor, man. I can't remember his name though. Ah, shit. You know. Anyway, which.
2: Which guy during the séance scene?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the guy with the curly hair. I can't remember his name. Why am I? Why am I, I? can't remember his name in the movie, and I can't remember the actor's name.
2: Oh, oh, yeah, he was in. Uh, he did actually. He did The Beyond and House um, by the Cemetery as well. Is Carlo DeMeo? Is
1: it Carlo, DeMeo? Uh, is it Carlo uh, DeMeo?
2: No, I don't think it is. No, no, it's um. Oh boy, that's gonna really bother I me. Know. No, maybe
1: it is, but he's in Terror Express. It shows it on his filmography: Terror Express, Say The Living Dead. House by the Cemetery, Guardian of Hell, Manhattan Babies, and that.
2: Yeah, that's the one. He was in Manhattan Baby as
1: yeah. well. So there I, I think it is him.
2: Okay, so Carlo DiMello, yeah, yeah,
1: and uh, he's a, uh, he's an interesting guy, and uh, he's on, a, he's on that special features for that Terra Express. Day. He's very, he's got some good stories. <laughs> so good guy, but, uh, uh, yeah, he's 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 good in the film, and uh, you know all the acting's good and stuff. I really wish.
2: Yeah. Okay. Oh. You're gonna have to sit quietly though. Daddy's doing his show okay. You there? Yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> Sorry, I gotta turn up for a minute. My son uh, was a little upset. I was breezing when he saw me. So I, I got him on my knee. Hopefully he, he doesn't he doesn't have anything to add to Fulci. I, I don't think he's, he's quite ready for you. We had this conversation no. last night with my wife. Uh, I can't show. I'm it's not Doctor Sacuti, It's it's Rick. <laughs> Say, Hi, Rick. Hi, Sammy. Hi, Sammy. Hi. Hi. Okay. Okay. So that is that is going to let Sammy talk. Okay.
1: I really don't have a whole lot more to add. I just you know basically that you know he he, he uh, you know he is interested in the macabre, and he he likes to rub your face in it and that's really uh, probably my biggest complaint of Fulci and especially in the eighties is that he you know eventually he got to a point to where he was just rubbing your face in everything so. Okay. And literally in this film, he's rubbing worms and what looks like some kind of jello in somebody's face. I don't know what that stuff was supposed to be. Do you know what that was? That, Look
3: at that money.
1: <laughs> that material. Yeah.
2: Uh, I don't know what it was.
1: Uh, <laughs> it was disgusting. Whatever it was. Yeah,
2: he probably blends up because he seemed to have a bit of a nasty streak. I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. It wasn't a desirable substance. That we can probably say.
1: Yes. Feel sorry for the actors, to say the least. Oh yeah. Uh, but that's really all my thoughts uh, on the uh, City of the Living Dead. I got a lot of stuff in while you were talking about it and stuff. So I'll let you go ahead and do your make or breaks and things.
2: Okay. Make or break scene for me is the one with the coffin. Like I said, it had this blue hue to it. It was shot in the coffin with the mirrors. It had the pink roses in it. It looked fantastic in blue. And then when you think about, um, you know, her having the pickaxe an inch from her eye and and it's just a really great scene. And, and, you know, that may seem surprising considering the Gore set pieces, but. Um, Yes.
6: Don't play with my toys. Don't to play with
2: your toys. You don't want to hear me talk about Fulci anymore? Okay, I can understand that. Maybe in about 15 years or so we can talk about Fulci. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs>
2: Shutting the gate, because if I don't shut that gate, man, he's gonna make the jailbreak upstairs and get into something. Yes. Daddy, Daddy, <laughs> cow!
1: Yeah, that's
2: a cow. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, uh, you know you could go with the gore but I just I really liked that man it looked great uh, yeah. MVT uh, again people could say the gore or the nightmare feel or the score which was aces I'm gonna go with Christopher George man
1: oh nice All right.
2: I really liked him in this film like I said these films sometimes the parts are pretty thankless
3: uh-huh.
2: but I think the fact that he added kind of a charisma charm you know he plays the intrepid reporter role he's even got the tan corduroy blazer so you know he's working it um, but I just uh, I really liked him in this film I thought he added something because I thought Jerry Carlo DeMeo was just dull as dishwater <laughs> yeah. um, and truth be told Catron McCall good sport or not didn't really find her all that engaging I found Janet Agren and the young girl Daddy um, you found Thomas <laughs> you found Thomas yes <laughs> alright I, I found him much more engaging My yeah. girlfriend. go for the film sorry go ahead
1: no I was just gonna say yeah yeah. I mean, DeMeo in this film is not uh, not very good no
2: He's not uh, Captain Charm, that's for sure. No.
1: Captain Perm, uh, sc- maybe. <laughs> What's that? Captain Perm, maybe. He
2: is Captain Perm. He looks like Bob Ross, actually, doesn't
1: he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does a little bit.
2: <laughs> um, my score for the film, I'm actually going to say... You know what? This seems... Uh, despite my better judgment, the score... I can't, But I can't quite... You know what? I'm just going to say it, man. Uh, I'm going to say a 7 out of 10. Oh, interesting. Uh, no, 6.75, actually. 6.75. Okay. Okay. Um, I quite you know, you have to let go. You have to liberate your mind, and and everything from and just kind of roll with it, this Fulci stuff. And when I did that, and maybe because it was in blue and the stars and moon were aligned just right, and I'd had enough sleep the night before, but it, it worked for me on its own merits. Um, you know, and like I said, we have to look at it for what it is. So yeah, I'll uh, that's what I'll give it It's six point seven five.
1: Oh, interesting. All right, uh, all right, I'm going to go with the make or break being the probably the most infamous scene from the film because it's the film that kind of burns in your brain. And it's really not the payoff that I love so much. It's almost the setup. I love the, the whole thing, and I love how it starts uh, with the blood trickling into the eyes and stuff. Very simple effect, but, man, is it is it effective to this day. Oh, uh, yeah, it looks great. Yeah, and to this day, I mean, I, you can say all you want to say about special effects and stuff, but sometimes just still the simplicity of those old-school effects still amazing Uh, and that blood trickling into the eyes is still amazing to me uh and of course the tripe coming out of the mouth and stuff and of course it gets a little hokey after a while but i really love that moment and michaely suave kind of freaking out which is what it seems like he does in every film he's in (laughs) he's only in films for like five minutes but he's always freaking out in them
2: (laughs) so he can go bananas
1: (laughs) so you know he's in there and stuff but it's it's a really great moment and of course i could have went with the other things you're talking about man it's a great moment there's you know some stuff toward the end that's really cool um there's a the great looking scene where uh, Radici's just kind of walking around and they they must have had those gigantic fans blowing. Oh yeah. And, and I really like that moment too. I wish there was more of that kind of stuff, kind of like that desolation, kind of apocalyptic type look. But there's only yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, unfortunately there's only a little bit of that. So Even the graveyard at the beginning is really great looking, you know.
2: Oh so, yeah, that's what I mean. They should have shot more exteriors Yes. Like, cuz it, 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 the stuff they did looked pretty good other than the same row of houses the boy ran.
1: Yes. He's ran like, <laughs>
2: up and down, you know what I mean? Other than that, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, the exteriors were, were quite good.
1: Yes, I heard you pause there for a second because whenever I know that when I, you know, since we have our boy, you know, whenever he screams, it's like you immediately turn, you're like, What's going on? You know, what's <laughs> yeah, that, what's you happening?
2: know, man, you know, <laughs> and, you knew what that pause was all about because yeah. he has these, uh, these cast iron Thomas toy, Thomas the Tank Engine toys, and he's playing in our living room, and he, he sometimes has a propensity to throw things,
1: yes. And
2: I just, you he's know, a boy. brother-in-law, he had his flat screen destroyed by his son. Oh, yes. Because he threw a toy at the TV, and uh, I just looked over, you know, <laughs> with kind of bated breath. And, you know, <laughs> he gets mad. You know, kids get mad, man. They get frustrated because they can't quite do what they want to do. And
1: Yes, and they you know, vocally, what? you know, let you know that. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's like, no, oh, I don't scream sometimes when, him, so. uh, like, he, you know, he's at that age where he's grabbing things stuff. But if you can't get it in the right orientation, he wants it, he screams at it.
2: Yeah, exactly, man. He's uh, he's like Mark Gregory in Thunder Warrior, just yelling and jumping around. And
1: Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah, but no, you're right, man. If it doesn't quite fit the way he wants it to, man, he's going to try to destroy it.
1: I always tell my wife that, you know, my son's making a Mate film, but she doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so. Anyway, uh, my MVT, I'm going to go with McCall. I really like her in this film. I mean, I think she's, she's hamming it up, obviously, but she goes, She she's, and I like Christopher George a lot, too. Don't get me wrong. But McCall, she really kind of sells it for me with her craziness and her wackiness. And, of course, you know, she's an attractive woman, so that helps. But all the the females in this film are actually pretty good. Yeah, they are. So uh i mean mccall she is overacting i think but uh, hey yeah. yeah she's been she's better in uh the other films so i'll say that but i do like her in this film especially that that uh, coffin scene she really sells that quite well oh yeah um my score for the film it's gonna be lower than yours cause i still think the film's a mess even though it does look great and this disc is definitely worth buying if you're a movie buff because you have a ton of stuff to watch and it's really great stories behind the scenes and things but it's a six out of ten uh it's still a mess of a film i mean you know Six point seven five is pretty fair. I could go that high, but I would—I don't think I could ever, ever, ever go higher than that. Ever.
2: You know what? Let me actually retract. I'm going to say six and a half because I think you brought up a good point. I think part of me is blinded by the whole package because the package and the transfer really enhances the film. If this had been a VHS transfer, I probably that scene I'm talking about wouldn't have been as great, and a lot of the other stuff wouldn't have been as great. So
1: yeah probably yeah yeah. six and a half and a a six then for city of the living dead so good old fulci and that won't be the last time fulci's talked about on the show
2: (laughs) no he's got at least a handful more titles in the mix for
1: us (laughs) all right so we're going to take a short break come back and talk about night of the juggler so we'll be back right after this
6: did you know that asian people prefer being called orientals did you know that Ching Chong, Ting Tong, is a respectful salutation in all Asian cultures? Did you know that paper cuts can cause massive arterial sprays in Orientals? No? Well, then you should listen to Podcast Without Honor and Humanity, the Internet's fourth best Asian film podcast. Every week, your host, Jake McClarchus, will cover two Asian films that can range from the obscure to the notorious, from a sunny Chibo werewolf film to a gore atrocity. From Category 3 to the Korean New Wave and beyond. Tune in at the website Podcast Without honor libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. Or you can just search Podcast Without Honored Humanity in iTunes. So give Podcast Without Honored Humanity a shot and get cultured.
1: song's actually called Caffeine, which is fitting, because I've drank a lot of it this morning, so (laughs) there we go. All right, so we are back, and we're going to talk about Night of the Juggler. This is a film you chose, so I'm going to let you synopsize.
2: Okay, Night of the Juggler, a.k.a. Pursued, uh, 1980, directed by Robert Butler, who I believe is primarily known for his TV work. Uh, I think he might have done a couple of things in there, I can't recall now, that were more uh, prominent as far as our listeners would go. Yep. yeah, primarily TV work. If I've
1: overlooked something, you know... I'll bring it up. There's, there's a couple of little gems in there.
2: <laughs> okay, good. I'll, I'll let you bring it up so I don't have to dig through right now and look. Um So, yeah, this is a 1980 film. Uh It's a CDB film, so, of course, you can get it over there. It's very hard to find, which is sad. Um And it's synopsized as such. Uh, a tough New York ex-cop relentlessly searches for his kidnapped teenage daughter, whom is held by a twisted psycho after mistaking her for the daughter of a wealthy businessman.
1: Yes. All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about this one a little bit here. Now, let me first and foremost say that I really, really, really had a good time with this movie. Me too. So so, uh, this is going to be fun to talk about because, I mean, I really just expected a certain thing and it turned out to be something just a little bit more. So uh, I'm going to praise it quite a bit because I had a lot of fun with it. Robert Butler, yeah, probably mostly known. Uh, his most recent film was *Turbulence*. That was the Ray Liotta, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lauren Holly uh, airplane the thing. But he also did one of my favorite of the '80s uh, sex comedies, *Up the Creek*.
2: Oh, nice! No, never seen it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's not a great film, but it, it's 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 fun. Uh, did um, also uh, a couple of uh, Disney films that uh, Roop might be interested in. On, but one of them I'm sure you know of. Uh, the computer wore tennis shoes. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. With Kurt Russell, and he also did another one with Kurt Russell, uh, the uh, Now You See Him, Now You Don't. The, you know. Oh, interesting. I didn't even know he he did those. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. That pretty interesting. Uh, he got a, got a couple of little films in there. It seems like there was one more I was going to mention. But anyway, yeah, primarily primarily TV. I mean, a ton of TV. So that's what he's mostly known for, which is kind of a shame because I think he's had some. Uh, I think he got some uh, qualities here that he shows in Night of the Jugger that I wish he would have stuck with. So hmm So cause there's some good stuff here. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we get into it here. We got James Brolin. We got uh, an interesting cast. We got Dan Hedaya. Hedaya? 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 Uh, Cliff Gorman, who plays Gus Saltic. Uh, Cliff Gorman, one of the great character actor faces <laughs> with his kind of wacky eyes and uh, stuff. I remember him. In, he's in Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Yep. And, All
2: that jazz. Uh, yeah. uh, boys and Company. Not Boys and Company. See uh, the boys in the band. Yeah. yeah.
1: Once you see his face, you know him immediately. It's like, you know, he's got one of those really interesting faces. And, of course, like I say, there's one scene where he gets out of the car and he's confronting somebody in a truck. And you see, I don't know if he had a glass eye or if his eyes were just off-centered to begin with, but, man, his eyes are just crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Not Marty Feldman crazy, but, like, you know, they're a little just off-center and stuff. And it kind of gives him this really creepy quality, you know? Yeah. And he's got this great, really, really thick New York accent anyway. And uh, so a lot of people won't know him, but I'm going to sing his praises because I think he's really, really good in this film. Yeah, he is. Uh, he was an angel too. I forgot about. It. He was in you know, one of the angel films and stuff. But a lot of TV work, a lot of stuff like that. But you'll know him if you see him. Of course, Mandy Patinkin shows up in a small role, which is funny because it it almost sounds like his uh, precursor to his Anigo Montoya character. Yeah, <laughs> he's like you. Yeah. What you crazy people? You wear this? You blah blah blah.
2: <laughs> he plays Mandy Patinkin plays a Puerto Rican taxi driver. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes, and he really hams it up for like the five minutes he's on screen.
2: <laughs> Very fun during the time he's in. It just really energizes the moment even more so, and yeah. yeah,
1: And that's and that's the 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 moment that I really started to fall in love with this film. First of all, you know Brolin's a badass with a lot of hair, doesn't know how to wear a hat properly and a beard. Yeah, uh, I mean he's wearing a hat like they wear them nowadays, like the kids wear them nowadays, like a flat Kinda tall, <laughs> yeah, flat bill and wearing it tall and. <laughs> Almost if he just sort of cocked it to the side, he had have been Joe Cool. Also, let me say that uh, James Brolin maybe been the first uh, grunge hero in cinema. Because yes. he's got this flannel shirt and jeans that he wears in the whole film. And it's half unbuttoned and stuff. And I kept thinking of the grunge era. You know how that became you know, this thing. Everybody wore flannel shirts and stuff. So it's pretty great.
2: Oh, yeah. He, you know what's great about him? Brolin's always been a guy that I think maybe more, maybe, I'm, I may be overstating myself, maybe more than any actor I can think of in Hollywood nailed the perfect look between being ruggedly handsome. Like he was ruggedly handsome. Uh, he was good looking enough for the women cause he was a very good looking man, but he was also not too good looking at the point where he was pretty enough where guys wouldn't get behind him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just
2: exactly. strictly speaking from a look standpoint, cause he right. pulls it off here and he kind of does a, a Kurt Russell thing here where he's got beard by the thing truck by big trouble in little China <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. early
2: on. Right. And he's, he's just, he, he's believable, which, you know, you, you kind of have to get behind. Right. Uh-huh, so,
1: uh-huh. and I think, you know, Brolin's a good actor. Uh, he should have been ar- arguably, he probably should have been a huge star. Yes. Uh, I don't think he, I just don't think he ever got into the right projects. I think he, there's a few gems in his filmography. Uh, this yeah. being one of them, the cars fun. I know Rupe likes the car quite, a bit. of course the Amityville Horror and stuff like that, Westworld, he's good in that. But I mean, he pops up in some stuff and he's really good. But I always, I was always curious. I don't know why he never became a big star because he had the looks and all that stuff. He just, he never became like the gigantic. I mean, he was a huge TV star. My mom loved him, obviously, you know, cause for obvious reasons. I mean, he's a he's a good looking dude. I mean, you know, as he's aged, he's he's managed to stay good looking. Matter of fact, now it's almost. Like he's he's if you don't see him without the James Brolin look, which is you know the silver hair and the silver beard, I mean it's like you know you don't even know who he is anymore. So it's always weird to see him in these films. And here he's totally got the whole Amityville horror. For those of you familiar with what he looks like in Amityville horror, yeah. he looks very similar in this film. The yes. bearded kind of a uh, uh, Demeho hairdo, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the Carlo DeMeo there. But uh, yeah, you know, very good looking guy. I just, I'm always I just was always interested that he never became you know a gigantic star. So. I think there's moments where
2: he makes films where he, he just I don't know if he's just mailing it in or he doesn't have the charisma or he doesn't bring the charisma sometimes mm-hmm. because he brings it in this one but you look at a film like What's a Capricorn One Yeah which I think is a dull film overall and should have been better than it was but I think he doesn't really even bring much to the film he's it kind of lacks charisma in that I think maybe that's part of the problem part of that part of bad choices
1: Yeah um, I think unfortunately know, but, he didn't I think the wrong directors used him too I think if he'd have had somebody who would have used his kind of natural charisma which is his looks and he could have been more of the strong silent type, and uh, mm. like I could I could have seen him in like he's got a great spaghetti western face. He would have been good for spaghetti westerns. So maybe he was just maybe oh, he just yeah. started a little too late. I don't know. Yeah. So maybe he should have done some Italian cinema. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I get that. But uh, you know he's in the film, and like say Cliff Gorman, uh, you got uh, Richard Castellano who plays the uh, lieutenant. who uh, you know I love. He's a character actor, but he's been in quite a few films, including The Godfather and stuff. Very italian american gentleman
2: <laughs> clemenza for those of you yes the godfather yes
1: so. uh so you got that and then of course you know uh i said dana daya mandy patinkin and of course the ravishing in my opinion at one point in time uh well i still think so is Julie carmen's in this
2: yeah, i would absolutely agree with you she is so beautiful
1: yes yes and she's very young in this film so it's very interesting to see her in this and of course you know most of you probably know her recently more recently i would say she's done some stuff but i'd say i guess uh in the mouth of madness she was in that and yeah and some other stuff so anyway it's a good cast i mean it's a good cast and uh so i you know we I started watching this and i saw the director and of course you know i'm a film buff i go through before i started watching i was like what else has robert butler done what do i know what, what am i might be in for and then i looked through it and i was like okay well a couple disney films i like turbulence is okay it's you know kind of a fun little goofy b movie uh this and up the creek i like but this guy you know what I've seen of his not exactly going to scream good movie to me. So I was kind of like, Oh, well, we'll see what happens here. But this turned out to be like a really, really fast hundred minutes. I mean, this film is, is pretty action packed and not like, like, you know, like Jackie Chan action or anything like that. Although there is some good stunt work in here and some crazy ass public, uh, public stunts done in New York. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, Including sidewalk driving by Mandy Patinkin and all kinds of craziness and stuff. But uh, yeah, man, this thing is fast-paced. From that first chase when the young girl gets kidnapped, uh, probably the only actress in the film actually that kind of was crazy to me was the the actress that played the daughter. She almost seemed like she was older than what she was, and she seemed she seemed kind of off too. I don't know. I don't know I don't if they know. were trying to sell that. This is kind of a weird little orphan Annie kind of feel to her or something.
2: Yeah, poor man's orphan Annie. Yeah, yeah it's
1: kind of a, And I don't know. There, there's definitely a creepy factor here, especially in modern times. There's well. I mean, it's here too, but there's definitely some creepiness with the Cliff Gorman character and the young girl. It's pretty; it gets pretty, arguably, it gets pretty sleazy in spots. Uh, not so much in what they show, but in the vibe it it uh, it show it kind of gives you. I mean, it's obvious Gus has some. You know, if he if he managed to keep the girl longer, it could have gotten pretty ugly pretty quick
2: it gets very repulsive when he starts calling her sweet meat and million dollar yeah. baby and it just gets really desperate and awful.
1: Yeah, and then there's I, I see here in the trivia of the film that actually there's one line they changed where at one point you know he's 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 chasing him and and uh, Gus is yelling and I'm going to fuck her is what he originally said but the uh the MPA said, maybe you should change that. And he says, I'm going to keep her, which ooh, wait, can you imagine if he would have been like, I'm going to fuck her.
2: I'm going to fuck oh, her. I'd have been like- <laughs> I think she doesn't she play like a 12 year old girl or something. She's
1: supposed to be 15, but she's in there. She? Yes. But she's in that really weird. I don't know, man. There was something just kind of off to me about that whole thing, but maybe it was just the creepiness. And of course, you know, nowadays pedophilia is, is so, it's not that it's more prominent because I don't think it's more prominent. I think it's always been there, but it's actually, I mean, it's reported every time it happens. And, you know, as a parent, obviously, you know, you you freak out when you hear it and you, when you see it, you know, you think, oh, God, this is awful. But, uh, you know, it's it, nowadays, I think when you watch any film and that kind of stuff's in there, you always get slightly uncomfortable because it's so in our face nowadays as opposed to what it used to be. Uh, whereas in some, you know, like my grandfather, I mean, hell, he basically married my grandmother. She was 12. He was 18. I mean, it was a different time. You know, mm-hmm. it's a different time, different world. So. So, you know, just the way it goes. But anyway, that's that's a little more personal information like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's the way it goes. Uh, Anyway, uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's a creepy kind of relationship. And the one thing that is kind of notarized about this film or or notorious or maybe infamous about this film is that they shoot a lot of it. Like it's it's a little bit like uh, Fort Apache, the Bronx or some of those other great New York films from the time Death Wish three. Some of these uh, late 70s, early 80s New York films, and that they, they really go into the projects and to the rough parts of town stuff, and it literally uh, looks like a post apocalyptic world.
2: Oh, yeah. Does it ever, man? I mean, that that's something we always talk about the New York at this time is how post apocalyptic it looks. I mean, it's just, there's times where it's just rubble everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's a great scene. There's actually a great scene where, uh, cliff gorman's actually explaining everything to the young girl and you know she's lost she doesn't understand she's a young girl she doesn't understand the politics and all that stuff but you can tell this is a lonely guy who needs to get this stuff off his chest and he does something desperate uh, you know that makes no sense but you know he has this sense of entitlement that he deserves you know to be rich too and there's a lot of depth to the to the kidnapping character it's not just a he's not just a sleazebag I mean, he's he's got some things that he wants to get off his chest and stuff. Now, obviously, no, nothing he does is correct, and you know, it's it's not you know by society terms, at least in the very least, it should be done. But I like some of the dialogue, and that's another thing about this film, man. The dialogue in this movie is really, really good.
2: It is. There's a lot of great little one-liners without trying to be one-liner-y. Yes. You know, like there's the moment when it just it's so such a minor part of the film. It's but when Brolin gets out of the cab and. Uh, And he goes, the uh, the cab driver goes, oh, it's this much. And he goes, keep the change. I'm rich. And he's just a blue-collar guy, just kind of funny stuff like that. Yeah, It was well-written.
1: And, of course, you know, you get to see 42nd Street in this, the uh, porn district, before it became, uh, you know, all cleaned up like it is now. So you really get to see it. And, of course, Sharon Mitchell's there, the famous porn star. Uh, That's the one who picks up the thing and stuff. And, of course, she's known nowadays as the one that kind of crusades against, you know, AIDS and things in in the industry. Uh, I don't know if you knew that or not. Did you know that? I
2: I didn't know about where she was at now. I did know that her and then one other person I can't remember who was uh, in this that were porn stars yeah. though.
1: She runs a clinic for all the porn stars and stuff to make sure they stay healthy and stuff. So at least she's trying she to did. do trying to do something, you know, the positive in an industry that i you know this is not full of very much very many positives. So. But she's the one who always throws out the call when until they find out somebody yeah, tested positive as positive and stuff, and they shut the business down. So, good for her. Yes, I mean because you know, I mean it is a it's a risky business, you know. So, you know, and they're all adults; they know what they're getting into. But you know, she does help, so that's the important thing. Uh, but yes, th- th- there's a great scene where he's in a porn parlor, and, and there's a lot of great scenes in this movie, but that's a great scene because that scene frustrated me. And I thought it was an amazing scene, and it also frustrated the hell out of me because those girls <laughs> were driving me fucking nuts, man.
2: <laughs> uh, what, the peep show? Oh, yeah, the peep show yeah. scene. Which <laughs> and, is a great scene visually, too, with all this kind of, like, greasy neon, and yeah. it's
1: just so good. Oh, it's definitely a real porn parlor. There's no doubt in my mind it's a true porn parlor, and it's like a carousel. There's, like, this peep show. I've never seen a peep show like this. There's, there's like, this carousel where everybody can walk in, and there's, like, all these girls dancing around, and, you know, you can talk to them on the phone and stuff, and, and the girls are, are attractive. Uh, yeah. Actually, which is weird, because... Sharon Mitchell's probably the most unattractive of the, of the ones in there. She's been on the show before, too. She was in Maniac as well. Yeah. Uh, she pops up in a lot of these kind of grimy, uh, sleazy New York films because so, I guess she was based out of there. But, uh, yeah, that's that, it was just a I I really got behind Brolin's character there. And, of course, you immediately get behind Brolin's character of Sean Boyd anyway because, you know, every parent's nightmare is that their kid's going to get kidnapped. I mean... You know, that is a true nightmare. When I see a scene in a movie now where, you know, where a parent takes his eyes off a kid, and literally that's all it takes, let's be honest. You take your eyes off your kid, especially when they start moving around because they're so fucking quick. Uh, You take your eyes off a kid for a minute and you have that moment of terror when you can't spot them. And all of a sudden you just panic. I don't know if you've had this yet, but I know that, uh, you know, I know my mom has talked about it with me and my brother in department stores. You know, we used to hide in the racks of the clothes and stuff and we used to think it was funny. Of course, it wasn't very funny to my mother. But it was funny to us because we're kids. You know, we don't understand the real world. We don't understand the world it can be a dangerous place. My mom, on the other hand, knew. So, you know, it's funny to her, to us, because we're kids. We're like, ha ha, mom can't find us. But you know, she's freaking out. You know, eventually to the point where sometimes she would call. You know, they'd have to call over the damn thing. And of course, I feel awful about it now. But I was a kid. You know, we didn't know any better. But every parent's nightmare. I mean, and, and the scene where and that chase scene is is fantastic. There's so many great chase scenes. In, well, actually, there's two, I think. But this one, the one I really like is the first one because I really got the sense that Brolin was desperate. I mean, he is fucking... I mean, talk about a scene where somebody is truly running their ass off.
2: Oh, man. And, you know, we talked about the scene with Adorf and um, the Italian... Or La Mala Ordina, Manhunt and Italian Connection. This is, like, that kind of thing, man. It's just wild. Like, And I, you're right, he does... We do feel the desperation he feels. And, like you said, as a parent, we can always kind of get behind this stuff, even if it's a shitty film, because it's such an easy thing for parents to put themselves in the shoes of, of the, the character. Right. Um right. But he sells it so well because here's a guy who's divorced, who left his job as a cop. We see why. And he kind of – the thing he lives for is his daughter. Right. We absolutely see that. And then when this – when she gets snatched away from him, I mean, he is – it's just desperation.
1: Yes, yes. And it, it's, a, it's a great moment and it's so well-paced. That's what I'm saying. I was kind of sad that this director hasn't made more films because – If you can build that kind of momentum in a chase scene, it's obvious he's a very talented guy. Now, maybe he just ended up in a situation where he wanted to make more TV. I'm sure you get paid well to do that. I mean, I'd like to do that for a job, direct TV shows. I'd rather do that than what I do now. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure that I just wish he would have made more films because I think this film shows a great – action scenes are only as good as the director who knows how to use the space he's working in. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious to me that he really knew how to use the city. In this moment, it's a great chase scene, man. It's it's really 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 good stuff, and really really desperate. And he comes so close so many times. There's that great moment when I thought, oh my god, they're going to let him catch him right here at the beginning and stuff. And of course, I didn't see it coming. You know that he was going to be hanging out the you know even though we see that a lot in movies now, but he's hanging out the side of the door and he gets he runs into a parked car and shit. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Pretty good stunt work, man.
2: It, and let's let's be honest, it looks like unless they pulled it off with some you know some really impressive smoking mirrors, Brolin looks like he's driving the car like he's doing a lot of the stunt work yes. You know, I mean, hey, you know, this guy really was selling it. And that's the thing. That's that's what also helps you get behind it because it seems like it's him. There's not that disconnect where it's like it's obvious it's a stuntman now. Yes. Right? So it's like, man, this guy's just fucking – he's doing everything. He's hanging out with this taxi or this car. You know, he's he's going crazy trying to get his daughter back. And they keep kind of tantalizing you where it's like he gets just with an arm's reach and then, boom, he gets yanked back like a bungee cord. And- yeah.
1: I think that's the key. The key is that Butler knows that – The audience has to get behind it, so he lets him get just close enough. It's like it's 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 almost like the Wile E. Coyote thing, and not in a comedy way, but he's just close enough to get him, and actually even gets his hands on him. But and you think, okay, well, you know, I just don't. I'm sitting there thinking, if I'm him, I'd be beating the living fuck out of this guy, whether the car's moving or not. Just punching the fuck out of this guy. Oh, I'd kill him, man. I would kill him. Whatever you have to do to get him to stop the car, right? Uh, You know, because. You know, as much as we are all humans, you know we're, you know, I've always believed, you know, like the werewolf thing, which I'll talk about when I talk about Hadea here in a minute. That <laughs> you know we're there, we're very close to being animals ourselves, you know. And of course, when things get desperate and when things when things get threatened, we do turn into animals. You know, it's it's what we do. So I'm sitting there thinking punching, him, punch him. You know, I'd be pounding the hell out of this guy. Oh yeah. But you know, he's trying to fight him off and stuff. And of course, it's a movie convention and stuff. But either way, it's really, really, uh, really got my heart racing and stuff. I mean, I had uh, this one of the great moments of the film. I really had a good time, and you'll hear me talk more about it at the back end. Um, speaking of Dan Haday, now he plays a character in this film and I've always liked Dan Day. He's got a really interesting way of delivering dialogue. Uh, I'd love to see that guy grow a beard for like a year and see what it would look like, because this oh, guy, he's one of these dudes who shaves and his his face isn't even like the right tone. His face is blue because the hair is already <laughs> coming back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's got he's he's got this wild eye look in this thing where I'm sitting there thinking man, he could change into a werewolf at any second. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a rabid dog, man. And yeah, you find out that Sean Boyd's this ex-cop. That's not really a plot, uh, not a major spoiler or anything, but you know that there was some there was some bad blood between him and Hadea's character, uh, watch I can't remember. I think it was uh, Otis or Barnes, Barnes, yeah, Sergeant Barnes. So you find out some bad there's some bad blood between them and stuff, and and so that adds another wrinkle to the film. Now you got Brolin chasing uh, Cliff Gorman, who uh, you know Brolin's being chased by Hadea, and then of course the Lieutenant Tonelli character, he's trying to calm everything down. So it's really just a really fast paced thing. And then Julie Carmen gets involved and she wants to help out. So now she's involved in the chase. And that's what the key to this movie is. The key to this movie is in one word is desperation. Everybody is so desperate to get what they need done in this movie in this hundred minutes that it really gives it a pace, even though there's some nice slow dialogue moments and some good scenes in here, uh, it never felt slow to me. This film really just kept pumping along, man. It just kept moving oh, yeah. and moving and moving, and it really, really felt good. It felt like, I don't know if you're a fan of uh, The Fugitive with uh, Harrison Ford. I always liked it. I think yep. that film's a little long, but I always felt like that film had a nice pace to it. Like, it just kept going and going and going. It never really slowed down. you know. Totally agree. And I, I, and that's how I feel about this film. This film's very similar to that to me. Of course, it's much sleazier than The Fugitive, but... Uh, that's just because of the you know where it's set and everything else, and, and, and of course the, the, the decrepit uh, part of the town and things like that. Uh, like a lot of uh, really, I think what another thing I like about the film is that the Cliff Gorman character, as, sleaze, as much of a sleazebag and awful person as this guy is, they try to humanize him a little bit, which I think is an interesting thing to do because I think even the worst of us, uh, humanity, the worst of humanity, there's always, there's there's something of the, maybe the child that was once there or cuz you know I think about that all the time now with the kid man I think you know he's so innocent now and stuff you know but what if he was to grow up and and do something that you know is truly awful I mean you got to think about those kind of things right you don't want to but you got to think you know how does it feel to be the parent of uh you know uh, a serial killer or the parent of a guy who robs a bank I mean you know what what went wrong you know what what did you do what did that person do you know you don't want to think about that stuff but let's be honest I mean it can happen and I think there's some moments in here where you know, he loves his dog. And so you know he's seen playing with his dog and stuff. And I think it's really nice that they give him that moment. This guy's obviously damaged goods. I mean, he's obviously got a lot of problems, but they could have really just made him a cardboard cutout sleaze bag. Mm-hmm. And they don't do that with this film. I think they make Gus interesting. Uh, I don't get behind anything Gus does, and I don't support anything Gus does, but at least they take the time to show that Gus probably at one point in time As damaged as he was, he was probably semi-normal. He just went over the deep end. Now he's prejudiced and everything else. There's a lot of mention of you know racial you know slurs in here, things like that. And it's pretty crazy. And uh, oh yeah, (laughs) it gets pretty pretty wild. And obviously he's got you know he's got a lot of issues. But I do like that they took the moment to you know show him playing with his dog and and there's a couple of moments where he she tries to take care of the girl and it's not as creepy, but then it borders it goes right back into creepy because he's got you know a temper issue and he's a very frustrated person and stuff so it's an interesting take on uh on on a creepy sleazebag that i don't think they had to do it they could they, they wouldn't have had to done it and it would have been just as fine because it would have been a yeah. simple story but i like that they took it that next step that next level
2: totally agree with you and like i said i don't need him to be <clears throat> um they don't paint him like a victim but they do color him with some humanity enough that he seems real which i like absolutely yeah
1: because it would be easy i mean they they could the, the easy route would have been victim they would have been you know you know and he does do a lot of this entitlement kind of bitching and moaning and stuff and things but then you see these little moments where he's he's happy so you see like a you know these moments where you know he might have been the person he once was but you know he's so broken now that you know he can't get back to it so interesting stuff uh i do think if i have one criticism of the film. Uh, one major criticism, I do feel like it gets a little lost in the uh when once Berlin gets to the decrepit apocalypse town mm-hmm. part of New York I do feel like it gets a little lost in this kind of uh warriors s chase thing
2: yeah, it does get a, <laughs> a little bit silly I mean yeah. you're you're kind of um you're okay with it to a degree because you know you, you've kind of gotten behind the film but yeah it does get a bit like outrageous at
1: that point yeah and at this at this point now Sean Boyd our our character. Not only has he become, it's, it's, it's the point where I think this film can be considered a great, and I think it's a really good film, but I think it would be considered a great film if they didn't take the Sean Boyd character and turn him, in, they literally almost try to turn him into Superman in the last 20 minutes. Now, don't get me wrong, he's desperate, he wants his daughter back. I'm sure he would do some crazy things. But at one point, I think he fought off like six or seven uh, guys who had knives and everything else. Yes, and I thought, okay, well, that kind of you know, I know he's an ex cop blah blah blah, but it does seem kind of you know, see, it does see it's a little far fetched. Don't get me wrong; it fits into the movie. It just seems a little out of character for the rest of the movie to me.
2: I, I agree with you at that point. Like I said, they obviously slip in the ex cop thing so you can get behind him being able to handle himself physically and do some of the crazy stuff. But it, they, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say they overplay their hand because I don't think they do. But it's it's right on that line where you start to go, wow, he is a bit, a bit of a Superman.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, God bless Julie Carmen uh, for not wearing a bra. Thank yes. you. Thank you very much for that. That was a nice moment. And I'm sure James Brolin thought the same thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of good moments. I, I really, I could go on about this film forever, but I don't want to, obviously. Uh, I want you to talk about it too. But yeah, I had a really, really good time with this film. So I want to hear what you think about
2: it. Yeah. So this was also a pleasant surprise for me. I got to be honest. I was expecting, you know, maybe like a five, a six, maybe in terms of where I felt about it. I thought that was probably going to be where it was, but uh, I liked it, you know, more than that, definitely. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, hot dogs by candlelight—that's uh, that's that was my wife and I's.
1: Uh, <laughs> Let me also say, you bring up hot dogs. One of the this has a great scene where Dan Hedaya has a shotgun on the street. He blows the fuck out of a hot dog stand.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, when he's running around New York hit that shotgun, he's he's just destroying stuff because he's trying to get at uh, Brolin.
4: Yeah.
2: and it's a pretty wild scene. Because like you said, Hedaya's got those wild eyes, and it's just. It's just insane,
1: man. Yeah, it's just great. It's great. I mean, I talk about a shotgun that does some damage, and talk about an eagle eye shot with a shotgun. I don't know. I've shot shotguns. I'm sure you might have too. Uh, the further away you are, the less accurate you are. But today is a fucking crack shot with that damn shotgun. <laughs> he
2: is. Uh, I've never shot a shotgun. I've shot you know handguns, revolvers, and stuff, but never a uh, shotgun. But uh, I
1: can't imagine. Uh... <laughs> well, the further away, <clears throat> excuse me, the further away you are. Obviously, you know the less you know the less accurate it's going to be because it spreads. So. But oh, he's yeah. he's hitting everything. I mean, he hits that hot dog stand right on the stem of the umbrella, and he's got to at least be eighty yards away. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> so pretty amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that was a great moment. Um, the daughter, to be fair and to put it politely, is is average looking at best, and and I'm okay with that because you know you and I always talk about this. I think nowadays it would have kind of been like Alexis Bledel and Ryan Reynolds in the leads. Like
1: it would have been it would have been Amber Heard
2: or Amber Heard. It would have been yeah, it would have been Amber Heard. And, um, I don't know, Nicholas,
1: no, and, I can see this remade with Nicholas Cage as Sean yes, Boyd, yes, yes, Amber Heard as his daughter and, uh, the bad guy would be Steve Buscemi, let's say. Uh, yeah. That would be a good call. That would be the call I would go with, but that wouldn't
2: be, the, yeah, that would be the call they'd go with. It'd be mm-hmm. the call we'd go with.
1: Yeah. They go with uh, Timothy Oliphant.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Exactly. Oh, so, you know, they would have cast more pretty faces, but it's nice that they, they cast these, you know, more average faces, which is more in line with the times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was talking about, it was funny, Mike Malloy and, and Quint were talking about this online, and, and it was so funny because I was going to mention this. This film would make a great double with the Luke Miranda, Sergio Martino film, Kidnap Syndicate, yes. which kind of plays to a degree the same way. It's a case of, we should mention this, mistaken identity where the kidnapper thinks he's kidnapping a rich child, a rich family's daughter. Mm-hmm. And the blue-collar man has to get his kid back. Same with Kidnap Syndicate. It's mistaken identity, much like High and Low, which we reviewed on the right. film, the Kira right. Kurosawa film. Mistaken identity with the kidnapping, blue-collar, white-collar, etc. They don't play as much, I think, into the socioeconomic kind of stuff with this film uh, as they do in the other two films. Yeah. But nonetheless, it is the mistaken identity stuff. Great, uh,
1: simple story device that works incredibly well.
2: Yes. Yes, it definitely it definitely does. Um, so yeah, you know, you mentioned him, Manny Batankin, when he's healing out. We're bird dogging a baby and he's <laughs> driving out across, you know, lawns and he's got, he's totally Puerto Rican and like, you know, apparently.
1: Doesn't he say Puerto one Rican. doesn't he say one line in there where that uh, white people wear their underwear too tight or something like this?
2: He probably does. You know, he's wearing, speaking of tight, he's wearing a tight striped tank top, which which was in line with Puerto Rican fashion of the day.
1: Yeah. Hang I think on. he might have had a hairnet on.
2: He did, uh, which, uh, um, Okay, uh, you're still there. Yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. Okay, so um, yeah, really uh, white knuckle stuff, man, and that's the thing I think you and I were kind of surprised with uh, how how great the the chase because just <laughs> wow, that that does wonders for my sound <laughs> William,
1: come over here, please. Okay, nice, but.
2: nice. You can play, but not on that, baby. Come on, off that, on the carpet. On the carpet. You have a table with train tracks, and you want to play on the elliptical. (laughs) Come on, baby. Daddy's trying to talk to Sammy. I want to talk to Sammy. You want to talk to Sammy? (laughs) What are you going to say? Okay, so say hi, Sammy. Hi,
3: Sammy.
1: Hi, William, William. I have Thomas. You have Thomas? Thomas. Okay,
2: Okay, now Daddy has to talk to Sammy, because we have to get going soon. So, say adios. Yeah. Sam! <laughs> was that an adios? He said, no, he said, Sam.
3: <laughs>
2: oh, he's telling you when we went to see Thomas in concert. Oh, nice. That, that Percy got stuck in the cave and he was scared. Oh, yes. Okay, well, we'll finish telling Sammy this story very quickly and then Daddy's got to get back to what he was doing. And who saved? who saved Percy?
6: Thomas.
2: And what did he do? <laughs> did he move something?
6: Oh, no, come and move
2: the rock. He moved the rock. That's yes. right. Yes. Okay, good stuff. So there's <laughs> William's review of the week. Yes, nice. Uh, okay, baby, give me a kiss. <laughs> you, listen, when you're older, you can come on the show with that, I promise you. Yes. I promise you.
3: Yes, you and Landon.
1: <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes, exactly. <laughs> and 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 Brind-
3: you
4: guys can pick your own baby. <laughs> <laughs> What's that?
2: Okay, you got too many trains. Come on, baby boy. Okay, come on up The tracks are out there, baby. Leave daddy alone. Daddy did the, put the tracks together for you before the show.
3: No. They're there. Come on, go away. It's okay, go fix it.
2: Come on. Come Love you. Oh, boy. <laughs> ah, okay,
1: let's nice. do this. Um, we de- okay. We're definitely back into the mornings now. We got that atmosphere back. <laughs> yeah,
2: that curveball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's really white knuckle. And you know what's great about the white knuckle stuff in this? is not only is it just kind of the straight-ahead chase stuff and him trying to get his daughter, but you have the unreliable jack-in-the-box that is New York City. Yes. You know, with trannies and pimps and homeless people and, and, you know, street corner preachers and all sorts of stuff and what's great is they have the kidnapper stab a man on the street and it kind of shows you that he's playing for real like it's not just talk with him like he's not some meat guy who's going to cower like he's going to do what he wants to do
1: right at that moment you know that he's desperate he's gonna and that's the thing i mean i think everybody in this film is desperate
2: yes absolutely everyone is desperate you know there's foot chases car chases it's really great and you know, uh, you talked about the wide-eyed Hedaya, um, which is great. Um,
1: his, his, eye, his eyes look like boiled eggs. <laughs> he, yeah. I don't know if it's the transfer, because this is a VHS transfer, obviously. But, I mean, the minute he sees Boyd in the in the thing, he free, he was freaking me out, man. His eyes were crazy.
2: Yeah, unsettling <laughs> for sure. Um, and this print, it should be said, looks good if a little soft.
1: Yeah, yeah but, it, it, it's passable. I mean, it's the, serviceable, yeah. The stuff in uh, Gus's apartment is pretty rough. Yeah, the darkness the, of the his dark apartment stuff, and, and unfortunately our climax in the uh, kind of sewer tunnel is a little murky, which is a shame but it, it should be, this film should definitely be out on DVD, it should be remastered and put out I don't know why this thing isn't out, this is this is a travesty seriously.
2: It is, it is a travesty um, there's actually a great moment that is kind of it, it kind of pauses for a minute and there's a great domestic fight with Brolin and his wife um, which I like because it, it's, it's played very well, it's played very straight and, and they're both kind of you know, finger pointing a little bit, and it was well acted, which is nice to see in a film like this. And nowadays, it would have just been kind of Will Smith and one liners. And you know, yeah. I think like again, it shows them humanizing the characters and their plight here.
1: Yeah, and that, and I, I, you know, I forgot to mention that. That is that is true. That is a great example of a relationship fight: the passion yes. and anger. Now, obviously, they're divorced or at least separated. I don't know if it's ever said he's divorced, but I do We we know they at least are separated. We know that, mm-hmm. and it's a it feels like a real fight. I mean, it goes from worrying about their child together to pointing fingers. And obviously when you're in a desperate situation, let's be honest, I, I've done this before. I've pointed fingers at my wife before when I've gotten we mad. We all do. We yeah. all do. It's it's just a natural it's a natural way of doing things. When you're tight with somebody, those are going to be some of the most intense fights you have. And, uh, you know, it's a, it just felt really real. And that goes back to that dialogue and stuff. There are so many scenes in movies where husbands and wives fight that it feels like it is made for movies to get a shot. This one feels like these two people know each other. It feels real and it gets really intense. I mean, really intense. And like in like five minutes, it goes insane.
2: It gets really raw because you get them both pointing the finger about, you know, because it comes down to that thing. They're divorced for a reason. And those things kind of rear their ugly head where, you know, the wife's kind of blaming him and he's saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just a great moment. And I, th- I love that the, the, during this breathless kind of uh, foot chase, you uh, you know, they really take the time to have this, it can, yeah. you know, add something to our characters. Um, so, yeah, uh, Gorman, what, but, uh, you know, you talk about passion, I'll tell you, um, uh, you, you know, you speak of passion and, and Richard Castellano, one thing he is passionate about in this film is is pinky rings. <laughs> this this dude rocks a ring in this film that is this big, I'm not lying, man. It's like he's got a, like a, a WWF championship belt on his finger.
1: Yeah, yeah
2: it's just insane like that thing if if he took that stone of that ring and rolled it down a street like a few <laughs> children would be maimed <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's
2: an amazing ring it's just majestic it is. and he's got a he's got a big hand anyway so for this ring to look as big as it does is incredible
1: yeah he's got um, them uh, kind of like fat hot dog fingers
2: yeah totally man total hot and the ones that are boiled and are about to split too <laughs>
1: there's a lot of you know lot of hot dog talk on this review and noticed <laughs>
2: Shouldn't surprise anyone that there's a lot of hot dog talk on our show. Um, take that how you will. Uh, Gorman was good as kind of the clammy, twitchy kidnapper, which you, you went into, I think, good detail about, and just to kind of reemphasize that. Um, there's a great line. I can't remember who even says it now, but someone goes, you hear that suck tooth? <laughs> yeah,
1: good old suck tooth. It's
2: good old suck tooth. Um, the, my next line is something we already touched on. This movie does not stop. I'm surprised a movie that's from 1980 just how just white knuckle it is, man, the whole way through. And it's great, you know, you even get some characters introduced late, like um, Julie Carmen's character, Maria, um, and uh, this uh, African-American cab lady. I really like that little triangle, that little triumvirate they had. It, I almost wish the the, uh, the African-American lady had been in it more, but, you know, it's not really her film, so it's fine she's not. But it, it's just great that, you know, they had all these characters you kind of get behind right away.
1: Yeah, no, I, I like that too. The uh, It's just... It, the, what the film does really well is it gives characters – excuse me, hang on. <clears throat> I had to my throat. It gives characters depth without – I mean, you don't need backstory. Sometimes you don't need backstory. You don't need your character. But, but they give them a lot of de- – I mean, like I was totally identifying with that, uh, that African-American cab lady too mm-hmm. uh, and the kind of desperation she was under now. And, you know, you get all these gangsters that come out of nowhere and, and she's standing up to them and stuff. And you can see that she, this is something she – you can see immediately this is something she deals with every day. Yeah, and they do that in the in a matter of two minutes. They mm-hmm. give you all of that character development in two minutes. So in that way, I think Butler is very impressive as a filmmaker, and then the screenplay is great. I I just don't understand uh, again why he didn't make more films because this film should have been this film should have made Brolin probably a star, a bigger star than what he became anyway. So oh yeah, I don't understand no, what happened. Sure. Here. No, I
2: know it's true. Um, those are actually all my notes. I do want to say before I get into make a break. <laughs> In um, looking up, because I immediately went to Julie Carmen's uh, filmography, and she's done some great stuff. You know, I, we don't have time to get into it now, but there's a lot of genre stuff. Like we said, *Mouth Madness, Gloria for Cassavetti's fans, Friday Night Part 2, some other stuff. But there's a film she did in 2009 that I haven't been able to track down. It's not on Netflix. It's not on Zip. Um, if anyone has this movie, please email us. I want to do a trade with you because I don't think the movie's going to be that great, but the cast is amazing. Listen to this cast. It's, uh, it's So it's an action thriller. Uh, it's kind of a neo noir kind of
1: film. I, I know which film it is, so yeah, go ahead.
2: Listen to this cast, and for our listeners, Eric Roberts, Robert Davi, <laughs> Keith David, Jeffrey Lewis, Irina Bjorklund, Jerry Trimble, <laughs> Michael Ironside, Bokeem Woodbine, yeah. uh, Julie Carmen. I mean, what a cast. Dwayne Whitaker from uh, Pulp Fiction. What a cast on this film. And even if it's a turd, just to see all those people has to be at least you know above kind of water at like keeping yourself above water
1: yeah it has to be interesting at the very least
2: yeah so anyone's got that film i got a line on it let us know
1: yeah it's interesting i'm gonna have to look around and see if i can uh locate that very interesting wow oh. uh, yeah and uh yeah julie carmen friday night 2 hot <laughs> so oh, very much so <laughs> yeah i like do friday night one and two at some point in time it's like a double deuce because i think friday night 2 gets shit on it and it's actually pretty good
2: i'm i'm, I'm i would say i agree with that yes
1: uh okay um all right, so I'll get into the stuff I loved about the film. I make a break. I'm going to go right from the get go. The great chase in the beginning that really sets the tone for the whole movie. From that point, on, from that point in, I feel like it's you know it's like getting on an amusement park ride. It's like that's where you get buckled in and that's where it starts. And boom, you're gone. It's like going up the uh, the hill for the uh, roller coaster. Uh, really, really a uh, really really great chase scene and really sets up everything for the rest of the movie. Uh, my MVT, I could have went with any of the actors, although uh, Berlin, obviously he's not an MVP for this for me, although I do like his character a lot. His acting sometimes is a little wooden in the film. I thought, you know, he has some great emotional moments, but I think he could have done better. Although this is one of the better films I've seen him act in. Yeah. Uh, cause I've seen him in some stuff. He's just, he's completely wooden and terrible. in. But, uh, I'm going to go with the setting of the film itself because this film looks great. I mean, it, I mean, the transfer doesn't look great, but I mean, this is set in that special time in New York city that we always talk about here and they really use it to great cause and effect in this film. Uh, I could have went with several other things. I liked Gorman a lot. I liked, uh, I even liked Today a lot and uh, stuff like that. And Carmen, I liked a lot. I liked her a lot. <laughs> so it could have, it could have been easy to uh, to get any of those things in there. But I'm gonna have to go with the setting because I really loved when they got to the slums and stuff, and they're walking around. And, and you just sit there and think to yourself, can you believe that any city's like this? And then all you got to do is drive through Detroit. So you know,
2: yeah, it's true. man. I was driving through Detroit on my way to. Cincy, just outskirts man i was like man like i said to fish i'm like look at this
1: fucking place man Yeah, it's amazing you know that cities like that exist and i think another one another good example there's a city in ohio i think it's uh columbus i think is like that too a lot of a lot of barren because there's a lot of jobs there but now they're gone So a lot of oh, you yeah. know, decrepit buildings and things so it's very interesting. Um, my score for the film, uh, I'm, I'm interested where you're going to stand on this, but I give this one a very solid 8 out of 10. I don't understand the, the cumulative score on IMDb is a 5.4. There's no way this film is a, five, or a 5.7. There's no way this film is a 5.7. No. No way. This thing is, is way above average. It's, it's, it's very, very – it's a nice – Hot hundred minutes, very action packed. Maybe some of it's a little messy in spots, but man, this is this is a good film, man. This is this was a lot of fun. I had a blast watching this thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. My score is. uh what Would you say uh, IMDb was what a five point seven?
1: Five point seven out of ten. Out of yeah. two hundred and twenty nine votes, it comes up to five point seven. I found that hard yeah. to believe.
2: That's absurd. I mean, mine's 5.8, but you know, no, <laughs> <Nice>. it's uh, a <laughs> nice. make or break. I'm going to go with the chase sequences. You feel emotionally involved. White knuckle. It's great. New York it's craziness is it happening. It's shotguns on hot gun, hot dog carts. And it just wild, wild stuff. So really dug that. My MVT is New York city, man. I mean, Brolin is great. And this is one of my favorite Brolin performances. I really got behind him. I really liked him in it. Um, this is probably one that most people could watch with their spouses. A lot of guys listen to our show, and some women, certainly. But this one I think, even if your wife isn't into genre movies, I think it's just, it works well as kind of like a you know a movie for a couple to watch that they would enjoy, man. I mean, some people may not like the 70s stuff, but really rock solid stuff so new york city is my mbt my score for the film is a 7.75 out of 10 when people talk about films now that aren't on dvd and it's a crying shame this is right at the top of the list man i love this film man it was really really good stuff
1: yeah this is one of those ones where you know we picked it. neither one of us has seen it and it's just a really pleasant surprise this is like uh, for me this is like the cry of the prostitute pick cry of yeah, the because it just came out of nowhere and i'm like oh man this, this movie is a lot of fun and i'm gonna be watching it again you know also, Absolutely. Let, me, let me say that uh, great poster, the IMDb poster I really love, mm-hmm. and also great tagline. I'm going to read this tagline real quick before we go to break. Uh, In the heart of every victim is a hero, and he'll tear apart a city to prove it. It's great. Yes. Great and line. it's got him
2: ripping apart like the skyline of New York City.
1: Yeah, yeah. like So And so it kind of comments on the decrepit buildings and shit. Pretty awesome, man. Oh, yeah. but Yeah, you can tell we were really into this one, so we advise everybody to go to Cinema de Bazaar and, and pick this one up for sure. This is if if you love the stuff we love, and really get behind a lot of the films we talk about, like Hands of Steel, Crab a Prostitute, those kind of films, this is a must own. I mean, you got to have must, this.
2: Must must own. Yeah, I, I would be stunned if any one of our listeners, because some of the stuff we like is a little more trashy, and not for everyone. But I would be stunned if all of our listeners didn't at least say, you know what, that was worth to buy, man. It, it's a really good film, man. Yeah,
1: very solid. All right, we're gonna take a short break. Come back and knock out some feedback. We'll be back right after this.
0: This is another easy one. This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek? Well, you know you
6: love it, and we talk about it.
0: And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good.
1: You know, it seems mostly uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that.
0: He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. Why, oh, thank you. Naked thank you, Viking, whatever. And as with Lost, the flashbacks aren't interesting at this point. Oh. <laughs> Uh I'm just hoping that uh it won't
7: break my heart like heroes.
0: Like punch a dinosaur in the face.
7: Yes, the mother was, was insane and bizarre and apparently high, I'm guessing.
0: I learned I mean, a lesson today about karma.
7: The man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever. Right heating
0: old man, and why are you not winning? So listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV because we totally watch it and talk about it so you don't have to. Find us at BigRedPodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store.
1: some feedback. I may have played that before. It sounds familiar, but who knows? Yes, you did. <laughs> I mean, you can't get enough of a cameo. <laughs> yeah. My wife's in the
2: room now. She's pulling a William. What? What are you saying? <laughs> you can't
3: get enough of cameo, me?
2: Yeah. No. Oh. The singer, you know the guy that sings oh. Word Off. The <laughs> guy that wears the jock on the outside okay. of his spandex? Yeah. Right. No,
3: because but- <laughs> me and my wife
2: were chatting because uh, as an aside, <laughs> here, now the whole family's coming in the room. She, uh... <laughs> We we're wrestling she likes to wrestle i said baby i don't want to wrestle cuz my man, wife i
3: love to wrestle my
2: wife you know she can hold her own yeah. and, I'm uh,
3: tougher than him yeah, okay
2: cool the cuts. anyway <laughs> she uh she's tough man you know if i was you know had to go back to back with a, a female in an action movie and fight off a horde you know she'd be the one and i said horde duh yes. uh my wife would be up there you know she's good so we we're wrestling I, I said baby don't i don't want to wrestle i don't want you know someone to get hurt you know i don't want to hurt you hang on hang on um, let me finish can my tell show you your story i'll tell <laughs> the <laughs> true story so anyway so Yesterday, you know, she she said something sarcastic. She threw. We were eating Taco Bell, man. I thought of you actually. (laughs) Yes. uh,
1: Good old Taco Bell. And
2: and I had half an empanada left, man. And she threw it out. And I said, "Great, you know, I wanted that." And she goes, "Oh, I just swept off the table." And then, sarcastically, she she goes, "Oh, did you want your ice from your cup? I accidentally threw it out." (laughs) are you smart ass right so i went and i grabbed her and i had to sweep the leg and uh i swept the leg and i ended up uh falling on her knee and i her knee's bruised now and, you know but and i said to her see this is why i don't like to wrestle because i don't want you to get hurt and i feel like the no biggest way. the biggest po- my kids are in the room my biggest poop head like i can't man and then now she was jawing about it on the commercial break and i said i'm sorry again so what do you want to say before i finish my show
7: I just wanted everybody to know it. Um, he was the one that came after me.
2: Yeah, I did because you're being sarcastic. I'm not going to say what you just did on there. So leave the room, please. Love you. Okay, I love you. Bye. Kiss, kiss. Nice. So there you have it. All right.
1: Nice, nice. All right, so we got some uh, we got some uh, emails, and we're going to knock out a few voicemails, but we're going to keep it tight again this week because uh, we're under a time crunch again. But, again, we will get to your voicemails, we promise.
2: Yes. Uh, so the first one, I'm not going to read it because it's not necessarily one to be read on there, but I want to thank Martin for his offer uh, towards both of us for something else we were trying to track down. I think we were both able to track it down, um, so much appreciated as always, Martin.
1: Yes, indeed. And, you know, again, check out his store. It's where we got our copy of... City of the Living Dead on blue.
2: Yes, omg-entertainment.com, which we'll mention in the closing notes. And I'll read the next one, I guess, too, since that one was not really one to be read. Uh, It's uh, from good friend Kolchak, a.k.a. Anthony. And he says, uh, kiss me, fan of the park. Hey, Rick and Willie, I've been solely catching up on your past podcasts. They're a wonderful way to get through 12 hour workdays. Uh, I do listen to their cast, but I enjoy yours the best. It's like getting a good chat about movies in the local bar with two pals. And believe me, being a Western New Yorker living deep in Alabama doesn't happen as much as it used to. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> anyway, uh, Roll Tide That's probably one yeah. that comes up more often. Uh, anyway, thanks for reviewing the Kiss movie. As a kid, they were larger than life icons. And when the movie appeared uh, on air in 2000, well, 78, I should yes. say. I was convinced it was the greatest movie ever made. Of course, catching it again a few years later, that wasn't the case, and finding out what a fucking sleazebag Gene Simmons really is. (laughs) But I still have a fondness for it, bad laser effects and all. One thing I did want to comment on was Will's asking whether the version of the Kiss box set is any better than other copies. The answer is definitely yes. It has a nice professional transfer done. And even though it's not exactly 2001 in terms of visual quality, it still blows away all the other versions. However, it's not the original version. It's actually the overseas theatrical version titled Kiss and Attack of the Phantoms which uh, is Salmon's preferred version. I don't have a copy of the original to do a comparison, but there are a few noticeable differences. It's widescreen. Some of Ace and Peter's dialogue seems to have been cut. No great (laughs) loss there. And more noticeably, much of the score has been replaced by songs from solo albums. So now people wander aimlessly to Mr. Make-Believe, Gene's double smashes through walls to Radioactive, and the guys fight robots to New York Groove. Some folks consider it an improvement. I'm not sure I do. Still nice to have, though. That's all I have for now. Hopefully this won't come across as too dry for the show. I really appreciate the work you guys put into the show. As long as you have the time to keep doing it, I'll keep listening. Colchak. check.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, I would be interested to see the uh, Gene Simmons preferred version. I guess I might have to look look into getting a hold of that somehow. I'd be interested to see what the differences are, even though I can't believe I would go back and revisit that film, but said maybe once every 20 years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I'd like to see it. I'm surprised that cleaned up print isn't floating around, eh?
1: Yeah, I am too, actually. It, it just doesn't make, you know. Doesn't make any sense, but hey, whatever. It Seems like you know Gene, being the the uh, you know money hound that he is, and of course you know the whole band in general. It seems like they'd put out a you know like a special edition, you know, because people stand Yeah, people would buy that. I know they would. You know, p- people that are fans of Kiss, you know, they'll you know it's like one of those things. You know, I mean, that, you know, you love Kiss, you love Kiss. You'll have, you'll have everything that's Kiss in your possession. So, teach throne. Hey, uh, okay, yes. uh, yeah, I mean, Thanks for the thanks for the email. We really appreciate it. And yes, uh, the our show. I don't listen to our show, but I'm sure it is really good for 12-hour workdays. Because <laughs> we'll, we'll take up at least a fourth of your day. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> so, all right. Our next one is from the Oily Maniac. Jay. So, uh, this is uh, his, uh, uh, it's just titled The Gates of Hell. He says, hey, gents, please allow me to reminisce. Before my freshman year in high school in the summer of 86, uh, my, friend, my friend lined up some booze, a parent-free home, and two females to, quote-unquote, hang out with. My task was to rent a really scary horror movie. Never having cable or VCR. series serious horror movie was Uncharted Waters. Uh, I just noticed that me and Jay are about the same age. I rented the big box VHS of Gates of Hell, a.k.a. Say the Living Dead. I remember that box very well. Me too. This decision was a defining moment of my life. The blow-up down worm-infested baby corpse ten minutes into the film made things so uncomfortable, I knew I wasn't going to get any action that night. <laughs> Pile on the worms to the face, gut barfing, brain drilling, maggot storms, creepy music, horrible VHS transfer, and sheer what the fuck is going on? Nightmare logic, and well, it did not bode well for the smooth teenage loving I was hoping for. Axl
2: Rose, I apologize. <laughs> yes, yeah. in the background right now. How,
1: however, the movie blew my fucking fourteen-year-old mind. I wasn't the type of uh, it, it wasn't the type of blowing I was looking for, but hey, it worked for me. <laughs> my friend was pissed up, pissed though. <laughs> Anyways, the Blue Underground and Arrow video Blu-rays are both stunning. Blue Underground has a slightly better transfer, but Arrow has more extras and much better packaging. If you are a fan of this film, it is worth, the gra- it, is worth it to grab both releases. Please support these companies. Hope both of you enjoyed Siddling Dead uh, to some degree. I'm dying to know if Sammy hates Fulci as much as Argento. Cheers, Jay the Oily Maniac. Uh, and no, I do not hate Fulci. I don't Hate is a strong word. I don't really hate Argento. Uh, dislike would probably be the better word. I know that sounds very adult of me and like something I would tell my child. Don't ever use the word hate. It's a terrible word, but I don't hate anybody. I don't, I'm not a hateful person, but uh, I just don't. Argento doesn't work with me all the time. Fulci works with me more often. I should say that. That sounds better, right? Yes. Yes. I don't know yes. what it is, but uh, I actually, uh, some of Fulci's giallos, I actually prefer to Argento's. So there you go. I know that might be yes. blasphemous to you, but to me, that's what No, I
2: no, I would say that I don't think that's completely out of line, man. I yeah. don't. I think his, his jelly are great, man. They're, yeah. they're really, really good. I I quite like them. Um, just for Argentos a little bit more, but I do love right, Uh right. So the next one, I just want to, it's just a quick mention. Uh, Roop has a great thing, his cinematic alphabet, where uh, every letter of the alphabet is is a film. I haven't gotten to Z yet, but I wonder if it's Zardoz. Um <laughs> So his uh, maybe it's yeah we'll have to see anyway my cinematic alphabet at rupertpupkin speaks blogspot com check it out it's a fun list as always um, and I think that's it for emails uh
1: yeah you know what you're right it is actually yes all right so let's uh, we'll knock out some of these voicemails here we got a few go ahead and get them going here here's one from uh, James I still got a backlog of voicemails from James
7: hey gents it's James from Criterion cast again um um yeah the last story that's a horrific story I'm actually reliving. Like, while telling it, I just kind of, yeah, I, I'll, I'll leave it as that. Um, I just wanted to mention a movie that, uh, I had watched recently. I actually got the, um, a review DVD in the mail. It was, um, Doctrack Stone's, I think, yeah, I believe just put it out. It's, um, The Last Lovecraft, Relic of Cthulhu. or however else you want to pronounce it. That's how I grew up being a Lovecraft, uh, freak. Um... So you know, hearing about it for a little bit, I was like, "Oh, it's a you know horror comedy with based on the works of L- H. P. Lovecraft." It's you know, it's it's promising. So is it any good though? That that's the thing. And i have actually like been contemplating this review like on on Criterion Cast for like the last. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably talk about it briefly on the podcast this week. But it's um, it's meh. That that's actually the saddest part to me. I mean. It's not so horrifically bad that it's not like Wicker Man bad or The Room bad or um, supposedly how bad Birdemic, which I finally saw a trailer for that, um, and that was all types of uh, awful, and in, and in, in, in a great way, like let's get drunk and laugh our asses up. But um, Life of Lovecraft, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's got some really good practical effects, like you know some of the costumes, really awesome. Like, you know, for, like... But then when they... I don't know, it just kind of let's throw as many... I think, you know, I'm surprised there weren't as many tentacle, like, tentacle porn jokes, or... Like, a lot of missed opportunities, let's put it like that. But um, I would liken it to... I mean, I would, like, someone online was asking me how it was, and I kind of like it. Like, I'm like, it would make a good triple feature with um, My Name is Bruce and uh, Jack, Brooke, Jack Brooks Jack Brooks Monster Slayer. it's kinda in that same vein where I mean My Name is Bruce you know Bruce Campbell love the guy and but that movie like the first 20 minutes I mean I guess the intro is good but the first 20 minutes is pretty fucking bad you have to get past that shit to get to the good um, Jack Brooks I mean it's enjoyable in my opinion it's not great at all but I mean, Last Lovecraft, I mean, it, it's fun. I mean, you know, I think the writer is also one of the stars. I mean, very, very homegrown, you know, very, you know, budget-based. But like I said, some of the CG, like blood and, like, guts looks pretty pretty bad. But, I mean, it's about ten steps above uh, most sci-fi originals, you know. I mean, that, that, to me, is the best way to describe it. But, yeah, that's the only problem with it. Meh, and being a Lovecraft fan, I'm, I kind of expect my horror uh, comedy Lovecraft to be of Stuart Gordon quality, but can't really get that too often, I guess, sadly. And it looks like right now, last night, uh, Gabriel Toro is probably not, or at least can't get the money from Universal to make at the Mountains Madness, but I don't know. It is what it is. We'll see. But um, my train is finally coming. So I'm gonna
1: let you guys go. Talk to you later. All right, that was James. Um, yeah, you know me. Me and Lovecraft, we have a uh, weird uh, relationship. As in, uh, this is gonna sound blasphemous to some. I am not a big fan <laughs> uh, of uh, Lovecraft stuff. So I tend to I, avoid. I tend to avoid any films unless they are directed by Stuart Gordon and they involve Lovecraft. Sorry. No, was, no,
2: I didn't kidding. want to cut you off again.
1: No, that's okay. That, that's all I had to say.
2: <clears throat> yeah, i Lovecraft. Somehow, I I don't know why, man. I somehow I never really got into Lovecraft. It wasn't an intentional thing. I just never did. And Now I'm just not that respectfully all that concerned. I think you know the Stuart Gordon stuff. Uh, I have. Uh, uh, from Beyond, I actually just got it actually very recently. Uh, you know, I, I'll see it. You know, the Lovecraft stuff I think is interesting to me, but I got so much other stuff that's more interesting to me that you know it's it's far down the totem pole, but in time, certainly.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I always, always kind of grimace a little bit when people call Reanimator a horror comedy because I always feel like it's more like horror absurdity. It's not. It's not. To me, it's. It's. I don't. I don't laugh out loud out of it, but I, I can see where people do because it's so overtly like gory. In some ways, and so overtly like insane that I guess you could categorize it as a comedy, but to me, I always think it's more just 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 a wacky movie. And uh, you know, some people laugh and some people don't. I just it, it, to me, horror comedy is you know, I don't I don't know Ugh. what horror comedy is to me, but it's not it's not that film anyway.
2: Oh, oh my God! I'm sorry to cut you off. I just heard, and thankfully it was an internet rumor. I just heard Jackie Chan <laughs> yeah. had died.
1: Yeah, 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 that 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 was oh going around god. yesterday on Twitter. There was a rest in peace Jackie Chan hashtag, and everybody was freaking out, man, including uh, Yin Chan uh, Troy, who listens to our show, who uh, sadly I didn't get to meet at Horrorhound. Let me say that on the air here, man, I, I didn't get to make Horrorhound this time, I had to work, which fucking blows, but uh, I will be back in November, so everybody please go.
2: Yeah, as will I, and I also wanted to meet him. No, my wife just came because she heard me say that. Jackie Chan, there was a rumor he was dead yesterday, and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah,
1: that would have been major. <laughs>
2: That would have been like yeah tribute episode like.
1: Although (laughs) uh, Farley Granger did die yesterday.
2: Oh my gosh, that's that's Farley Granger was in that um, Nicholas Ray one I watched, man. He did a lot of prestige and less prestigious films, certainly.
1: And just oddly that you know we you know we're probably going to be doing you know so sweet so dead pretty soon. I mean he he uh he passed away yesterday. I didn't even know he was still alive. He that's amazing.
2: Yeah, no, I didn't either. I thought he would have passed on. So I'm sorry to derail that, but Jackie Chan dying would have been (laughs)
1: tremendously
2: huge news.
1: (laughs) Major, major news. And not to make light of other people that have died recently. We don't really talk about it all the time on the show, but, you know, Elizabeth Taylor and all these people. I mean, we've lost quite a few lately. Uh, Thankfully, not Jackie Chan. (laughs) So it would have been crazy. All right. uh, Yeah, thanks for the voicemail, James. Got one from the Zom here. I've had this one for a little while.
6: You said you like movies. You know that was a lie.
1: (laughs) Bringing it this time.
6: (laughs) You made me watch Reese with a spoon (laughs) so I could get fur pie. (laughs)
3: Jesus.
6: (laughs) Now I'm sitting in a theater watching Jennifer Veniston. You made me go again, but it just ain't worth this shit. Gotta blame it on something. Gotta blame it on something. Blame it on Poon Tang. Oh, I want that pussy. Blame it on that thing. Between her legs. She is. Whatever you do, just keep watching that poo. Blame it on Poon Tang. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You got to blame it on Puntang. (laughs) I wanted to watch Lee Marvin. You said that was fine. You fell asleep in ten minutes. Now that just blows my mind. So you got to pick the next one. Kutcher and Portman. I want to slit my wrist. Do I have to watch this shit? Do you want that pussy? Jesus. Yes, I want that pussy. Subtle. Blame it on Tang when you watch a chick flick. Blame it on Tang for your misery. Whatever you do, just have to watch that poo. <laughs> blame it on Poon Tang, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to blame it on Poon Tang, but the pussy don't mind. <laughs> but the pussy don't care. Yes. <laughs> if you want some Jeez. butt pie, know, blame it on Poon Tang. Oh, I want that pussy. Blame <laughs> it on Poon Tang. Yeah, yeah.
2: He's better than Thomas.
6: Whatever you do, just keep watching that poo. Blame it on Poontang. Yeah, yeah. You gotta blame it on Poontang.
2: I want to thank Sam for being the first one to get my son to say the word pussy. My son just came in the room and he's hearing him say this. And he goes, Pussy? And I have to, of course, say he's talking as John will I'm sure uh, Zom will attest to. He was talking about Percy the green engine from Thomas. Yes. I said he likes Percy more a lot more yes. than he likes Thomas.
1: Oh Thanks. Zom. There's no there's no amount of interesting dichotomies I can think of that uh, Zom singing that song and listening to your child talk in the background. It's like oh it's like God. two things that shouldn't go together.
2: No, well, because, he again, he was banging on the door, and I had to make a decision uh, <laughs> to hear, and he had to hear Zom channeling his inner Michael McDonald by way of Millie Vanilli. So, uh, you know, uh, mm. welcome to the wonderful world of Dr. Zom, yeah. uh, William.
3: <laughs> <laughs> truly, okay.
1: truly one of Zom's more subtle songs. Yes, yes. <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, let me also say Zom just posted on our boards uh, earlier, or something. That... Well, we're on a roll here today, folks. <laughs> yeah, phone calls, everything going on.
2: Oh, my God. Do you have the phone? <laughs> you have it. Yes, she does. Apparently. Okay. Uh,
1: that Angelo Infante died. Uh, I didn't know he died in October of last year. I didn't know he died.
2: Yeah, I know, and that's sad. You know, he was on the, in the Nest Godfather. He did a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't you know, know. It's that. unfortunate. Sometimes we forget to mention these these deaths, and they, they don't mean any less, obviously, to us or to to anyone, certainly. But just inevitably, sometimes the late night or early morning recordings uh, aren't conducive to memory.
1: Yes, so I got a couple more. We'll do two more voicemails. I got one from Tom and one from Mikey. I got another one, but it's actually inaudible, uh, and it was sent from uh, Scott. And Scott, I apologize, but you must have been in a tunnel or a subway or something. But you can hardly, I can only barely understand that it's even Scott, and I only know because I know the number. But I'm not going to be able to play it on the air. It's, it's 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 unlistenable. I mean, it really is. So my apologies to Scott, but uh, you know, it's just it's inaudible, and he understands. I'm sure he's got a podcast, and you don't want to play that stuff. So. But I'll get this one. We got one from Metal Mikey and one from Tom, and then we'll call it a day. Sound good?
4: It sounds good, yeah, because I got, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, understood, understood.
4: Here we go. Rick und William, this is Metal Mikey for my thoughts on the Shout Caller episode. Wow, I got to say, you know, Rick, keeping it quiet for the episode, you know, I don't think it was so much for trying to not disturb his wonderful son, While he is sleeping? No, 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 no. I think it was because he realized that the ladies' listeners, they like to have Sammy deliver his subtle, dulcet tones in a more softer register so that they can swoon as they so wish oh. and speaking of Rick I have not seen yet the DVD version of Until Light Takes Us and I'm kind of hoping there's a lot more extras in it because yeah I did really like it and the strangest thing is I remember after seeing it I'm like I still regard Varg Vikernes as a murdering bastard but yeah I want to hear more Burzum and I actually am kind of glad I have gotten into Berzim as a listening choice. I mean, he is admittedly very good at it. He's just still a murdering scumbag. But again, you hit it on the nail of your opinion. It's just sort of like it kind of goes in way too many places, and the subject itself is kind of a bit too vast to really cover in just about an hour 30. But, you know... I believe when Will was kind of Rick was taking up time for Will to pull up a bit of information. Yes, you listeners out there her little factoid. My Pope's nose <laughs> And I are just absolutely tight with Paul Schrader. We're we're like this, okay? Except not like that tied together. It would not be my scene and it would be kind of difficult to get us untangled, if you know what I mean. And <laughs> I think you do. And somebody brought up the Rickety Bridge sequence from Sorcerer, and the discussion was made about why we don't really see a whole lot of Rickety Bridge sequences. Now, I did recent kind of, recently kinda of basically touch on my viewing experience of Season of the Witch, yeah, the Nicolas Cage one. And my latest episode of Action Attraction. <laughs> and that's all I'm gonna say about that. But yeah, there is actually a Rickety Bridge sequence in that film and I'm like, this actually isn't too bad. It does feel fairly genuine. And and quite seriously, outside of all the kidding, you know, I really did appreciate the very kind words you both had to drop about your, well, me, yeah. namely. the. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, you both think of me so kindly. And I hope all the listeners out there that have met me, they feel much the same. I try not to be as much of an asshole in real life. I swear to God about that. I may not be as bright but I'm certainly not an asshole. So, you all take it easy. Excellent episode as always. And talk to you later. Three minutes. Bye.
1: Yeah, he nailed that perfectly. It was three minutes on the nose. Sorry, Thomas. hang on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Just pause,
2: pause, pause. I hear Thomas, I hear Thomas the Train. Hang on, baby daddy. put it back on. Sorry, I'm trying to keep him cool here.
1: Yeah, understood. Yeah. Understood. <laughs> understood. understood. Uh... uh yeah, he brings up some good points there. Mikey is not an asshole. He's a very nice guy. You met him face to face, so you know.
3: Daddy, that <laughs> he's a very nice one promise.
1: <laughs> yes. I hate saying the word "a hole" in front of your son, but you know, I'm sure you know that won't be the last time he hears that word in his lifetime. No. Uh, yeah, but you no. Know, yeah, the, uh, the documentary you're talking about. You still haven't seen that, right? That uh, Black Metal documentary.
2: Uh, sorry, uh, I haven't seen. No, I haven't seen until I taste this yet. I am I definitely Daddy? I definitely want to. Th- Daddy. Yes, William.
3: That is one Thomas.
2: This is the William show this week, isn't it?
1: Yes. Daddy. What?
2: Daddy. <laughs> okay, hang on, baby. Daddy's almost done. We're going to have some bacon and eggies. Yes. Daddy,
1: that is
3: one Thomas. I'll put
2: Thomas on for you in just a moment. Uh, I still want to say, I'm going to get on to this year because it still seems very appealing to me, so. Yeah. And yeah, Mikey is an amazing guy, so. You know, uh, large popes knows, small popes knows, or not. Whichever way, we love them. Yeah. Mikey's going to run
1: across more doing action attraction. He's probably going to run across more rickety bridges than any other podcaster. (laughs) Very probable. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Yes, because there's a lot of rickety bridges. Bridges
2: too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Amazon films. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Uh, Yeah. As always, thanks, Mikey. We got one from Tom here. Here we go. It's the last one of the day. Hey
5: there, Big Will and the Samurai. It is I, Tom D. J. Calling you straight out of Brooklyn from. Better in the Dark Laboratory. I just finished listening this morning to episode 122, Bugsy Malone and the Magic Sword. Um, Bugsy Malone, you've you've got me intrigued. It's funny because, you know, I grew up during my adolescent and through my teen years in a little neighborhood in Queens County. Uh, one of the five boroughs here in New York City, called Woodhaven, which is a very mo- it was a very Italian-American, very mobbed-up area of New York. A lot of uh, the, the lower-level mob people had their houses here in, in Woodhaven and Ozone Park and the like such. Um, and there was exactly one movie theater in Woodhaven. It was called The Haven, It eventually closed down, and I think it was 1980 because of gang violence, probably actually earlier than that. And one of the shows, one of the movies I remember very vividly, them running was Bugsy Malone and being totally baffled by what this movie was supposed to be. And I realized it was supposed to be a kid's movie, and yet it didn't look like any kid's movie I had ever seen, and I... I didn't go to see it at that time, and it kind of sunk down into the darkest depths of uh, reality. I don't think it's ever really had anything remotely resembling, you know, a cult. Well, I know it has a cult following and such. Um, I don't know if it's had any sort of official DVD release or anything, but um, one that I'm particularly since we're we may end up doing another musical episode like we did about two years ago this year as part of the Summer of Fun 2011. And if that's the case, I might want to revisit that, uh, take a look at that for the first time. Um, also, the other thing, you and uh, Rupert, hey Rupert, Rupert—we're talking about those little books that you could buy at supermarkets, uh, and it came with a 45 record, and there were comics based on like DC and Marvel characters, um, and you could follow along with the, with the record, um, with you know, the book, with the record and such. You couldn't remember what they were called. The name of the company was Power Records. I think they were out of, I think they were here in New York, out of Babylon um, in Long Island. They were a, this was their big deal. And they put out, uh, during the five or six years they were in existence, they put out little 45 and comic book sets for pretty much, Anything they could get their hands on, including not just the Marvel and DC characters, but Star Trek and the Bionic Man and such. And if you are interested in reliving your old, uh, your younger days, I remember having a number of these when I was a kid. Primarily the was it the Incredible There was the Incredible Hulk one. I had, I had, I think the um. The Captain, not the Captain America one, the, uh, the Spider-Man one, and I had the, there was a, like a double sided one, and it didn't come with a comic which had Plastic Man on one side, Avengers of Plastic Man on one side, and Metamorpho on the other. But if you are interested in reliving these things, because not only does it, ha- it has pretty much everything, you can go to a website called Power Records Plaza. It's a blog spot. It's called, it's the URL is powerrecordsplaza.blogspot.com and the guy who runs it has uh, been has on um, pretty much everything you'd ever want from these um, from these power records. Um, these are actual rips from the LP, so you can listen to these stories. Um, Earth2.net, the show, you know, the the company, the now parent company of uh, both DJ Comics, happily, and Better the Dark. Also, um, the main show, which is called Earth to Dot, Earth to the Show, um, for a while ran a whole bunch of these power records. has episodes of the show. So if you go to earth2.net and look at the Earth to the Show archives, you can find the episodes where Mike, uh, Michael Sims played those records. So yeah, they're out there, and you can go find them. And hopefully... I will hear from you again because I know that we have a bet that we're about to uh, make good on fairly soon. Okay, have a great day, guys, and i watch out for the uh, watch out for the sleeping vampires. Okay,
1: peace. All right, that was Tom DJ, the one and only. I have to look into that because I do like those uh, albums quite a bit.
3: Here, the <laughs>
2: Yes, no, those records. Uh, I I love them as a excuse me as a youngster. I used to have the He-Man one.
1: Nice.
2: Uh, Oh gosh, I can't remember all the ones now, but they were great, man. Little, little 45s or whatever.
1: Yes. Yes. I remember I, I lived for those things when I was a kid.
2: They were a big part of me learning how to read. I would, um, Read them without the record, obviously. And uh, they were a big part of me. my first memories of reading on my own were one of those books, actually.
1: Right, uh, yeah. so that is the uh, big show, Large William. you going to get into the pleasantries. And uh, are we doing the uh, Camille Obscura stuff next week? Or what are we doing next uh, week?
2: I thought, yeah, I thought, I don't know if uh, you want to pick one and then, <coughs> and then I'll pick one. We're done. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, <coughs> Sorry, I was coughing. <laughs> I gotta make this snappy. So program for Japan, like we said, donations of fifty dollars oh, or more. Thomas. You can program an episode of the GGTMC, um, OTC show and uh, show, show are our sister shows, all of our friends over at Palaver, check out Paleo Cinema, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark. You just heard from our good friend Tom. Uh Hamicus, Married Daddy with Clickers, with and Dad. Yes, I'm and, and this is the Thomas cast this week. Uh, Married <laughs> with Clickers, Criterion Cast. I'll oh. vote you that, like Daddy finished. And then we will look at that as long as you want, I promise. Uh, Projectionboot-boot.com, vcinema, paracinema.net, of course, our favorite couple in the NYC. nightmaretheater.blip.tv uh, Of course, Mike has a new episode out. And vote for him over, if you're a friend of his on Facebook, he's got a link to Jones Soda, where they may get on a Jones Soda bottle. So
1: oh, nice. Check that
2: out. Uh, blogs, theggtmc.blogspot.com, cinemasatori.wordpress.com. Other.blogspot.com blogs. Of course, uh, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Lightning Bugs Lair, Fist of B List, Scared, Shiftless, and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Chimp Talk, and um, as far as Friends of the Show, Diabolic DVD, of course. Um, which we're going to be dropping on you guys Within two weeks CDB Which Night of the Juggler was from C Cinema-DE-Bizarre All your hard-to-find genre needs Promo code Gentleman For 10% off your orders And the other sponsor this week OMG-ENTERTAINMENT.COM Very good friend Martin GGTMC10 For 10% off your orders Check out Martin, guys He's a guy doing it himself Because he loves films uh, and then, of course, Camera Obscura, There's which we're Thomas good
3: with.
7: They, they
2: don't sell Thomas DVDs, I don't think, on OMG yet, but I'll ask Martin if he can sell them. Okay?
1: <laughs> nice. Sounds like a plan. Uh,
2: and then Camera Obscura, of course, which I think, uh, do you want to make a pick from next week? Or
1: Yeah, I was yeah. going to go with the, uh, the uh, Giallo, the So Sweet, So Thomas Dead Robe, with Farway Granger.
3: But...
1: Sorry, which one? So Sweet, So, so, so Dead. So ah, yes, very nice. We'll do that one. We'll do that one. Very nice. So, yeah,
2: and like I said, this is from cameras here. My and uh, my pick, of course, uh, will be something we've gotten haven't done in a little while. I got a craving for. We're gonna do uh, a Shaw Brothers film that uh, I was holding off on doing on the show. Oh my gosh! William, just give me one second, please. Um, we're gonna be doing the Black Tavern, which uh, is a lot different than most Shaw Brothers because it features. Uh, it's not really white hat black hat it's about a bunch of bandits nice hiding nice. out at a, a tavern waiting for a shipment of gold to arrive and a lot of double crossing so there you go Jalo and kung fu two yeah. things we love uh, next week and don't forget obviously itunes facebook twitter.com backslash ggtmc uh, bob freelander uh, and cool cat large william and pickle of 10 and donate to our show uh, if you wish to do so and yeah. that's it Not a moment too soon. Yeah, that is everything. William, say adios. Adios. Adios.
1: (laughs) There we go.
3: Adios.
2: (laughs) And Thomas says adios. All right.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.